Hey, Andrew. Hey, Greg. Did you watch the feature film Spider, Spider-Man No Way Home? I did. Should we talk about it? Yes, we should. So where where does one begin? This was a movie. It was it was a movie. It was a lot of movie. It was a lot of movie in a lot of ways. Many things could be said about this movie, but let no one say it wasn't a movie. <laughs> uh, okay, shall we do the typical uh, guess what each other thought of it? Okay, let's do that. I guess it's cheating a little bit because you gave me like a one sentence impression from when you watched it. So I know a little bit. Okay, yeah, I, yeah, that, that, I mean, yeah, sure. It's cheating, but who the hell cares? <laughs> you go first. Okay, I think you really, really liked it, but felt like uh, it, it maybe under-delivered on the promise of the multiverse a little bit and um, got a little muddled and messy at, at points. Okay. I think that you're going to... I think you thought that while it was like less muddled and messy than you maybe thought it was going to be, that it didn't fully land for you, that the other... Spider-Man's felt a little forced and a lot of the villains didn't do it for you. And that maybe it wasn't a cohesive whole for you. How we do? Well, you, um, yeah, I think you were, you were pretty spot on in, uh, in, in your analysis. Um, I, my thoughts about the additional Spider-Man's are complex but I'm sure we're going to spend a lot of time talking about the presence of non-Tom Holland Spider-Men <laughs> in this movie. Um, yeah, I, I do think that in a lot of ways, yes, that some of the weakest parts of this movie were some of the villains, but also some of the strongest parts of this movie were some of the villains. But um, how did I do with my prediction for you? Uh, I am pretty much all in on this movie. So yeah. <laughs> uh, I, you are too too harsh for my criticism. I think that, I mean, the criticisms I could levy just to get them out of the way would be like, maybe some of the de-aging was like not perfect in areas, although <laughs> it wasn't as bad as some people said it was, for me at least. Um, my theater experience was not great, so that wasn't, you know. My, my theater experience was also suboptimal. Um, but you know, that, that's what you get. You know, we're yeah. going to go see a, a movie for teenagers yeah, on opening it, weekend. Yeah. It actually wasn't anyone being obnoxious. It was just, it was very hard to find tickets. And the theater I was in was like quite, uh, it was like an older theater, hmm. despite being at the King of Pressure Mall. And it was a very big, densely packed theater. And I was feeling uncomfortable a lot of the time because there was a lot of people around me without masks. And I was mm-hmm. like, Ooh. <laughs> Um, so that wasn't like, and like, we were also like, despite the, I was in like row, like, I don't know, F or G or something, you know, which usually is like center of the theater. And in this, it was not center of the theater. I was like looking straight up most of the movie. Me too. So I was like, okay, (laughs) this is fine. It's, it was, it's doable, but, uh, it wasn't great. But yeah, um, I think that despite some people saying like, oh, why didn't they just put one more villain and make it a Sinister Six? That would have been that bad, that bad decision. <laughs> um, there was probably too, too many villains in this. They didn't really detract from the movie for me because they're kind of just like goony to begin with. Uh, so it's fine just to have some extra like cannon fodder in the mix. Um, so so why don't we start by talking about the villains? OK, a, let's I, start I think by that's talking a, about the villains. 
a good place to start. Yeah. Well, actually, can I just give you like my summary of this movie? Oh, yeah. Real quick? Sure, 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 sure. I think that what I really didn't expect, what this movie did that I didn't expect it to do was to tell a pretty damn cohesive story about Tom Holland's Spider-Man, where a lot of the, this is for me, a lot of the, the villains and the extra Spider-Mans and kind of things like only enhanced the story with maybe like one or two minor nitpicks. And then also kind of left him in a spot that like feels like a more traditional Spider-Man, which is like kind of impressive hmm. Um, in a way that like, I'm not sure if I like love that it happened that way, but it was like a, when you kind of take a step back and go see what they did, it's like, oh, that's kind of an interesting, like a choice that they made consciously. And it was interesting. Even I might not agree with it and like handled well. Either way, I might not agree with it. That makes so sense. I do like that. I mean, I like the idea of the kind of back to basics Spider-Man that they're kind of teasing there at the end. Mm-hmm. I like that. Um, I think it makes sense in the context of the larger Marvel universe that they've built. Um, I just wish like one of my biggest gripes with the this batch of Spider-Man movies is I don't love the idea of just like Spider-Man getting most of his powers from Tony Stark's technology, you know? Yeah. And I've never liked that. And that's been all over this movie, even the first half of this movie where it was, you know, um, uh, uh, Doctor Strange, who I guess is gay, Tony Stark. Um, I know he's not gay, but I'm trying to how do you differentiate? (laughs) You know, he's just a little more, you know, um, a little more queer coded uh, versus the aggressively heterosexual um, (laughs) Robert Downey Jr., um, even though there's probably one dude who's like experimented with dudes, it's probably Tony Stark at some point. I don't know, man. I feel like I, I feel like this version of Tony Stark was is not quite liberated enough for that. That's probably um, fair. Anyway, um, you know, I, 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 I like that conceptually, but I that's the movie I've wanted this whole time. <laughs> um yeah, and I also disagree. I, I think, I think this movie wanted to tell a story about Tom Holland's Spider-Man, but I think it, I, I, I just think it dropped the ball in a in a couple places and ended up really failing to tell that story. Hmm. Okay, I think I, I, I can see what it wanted to do, but I just don't think it, it got there. Okay. Um. Well, then a fight is brewing. No, I'm just kidding. So okay, uh. so, but let me say I. By no means did I hate this movie. I just think it could have been better. I, I I think that this was a like, OK, let me put this another way. Like this had the potential to be at the level of like such a perfect like marriage of like action adventure movie that also has a story to tell and something to say. Um, and I feel like it just didn't quite get there um i the the and the part that was really really good was the action adventure part that that half of the equation was almost flawless i mean i have to say that the the plot right just the, the 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 mechanics of this story and all of the things that you have to understand for all of this to work and make sense and all of the things all of the characters have to do throughout the course of this movie and how many different characters there are in this movie and 
this is so many spinning plates and yet it all works. You never really lose track of, wait, what are we doing? Where are we going? Why are we doing this thing? How does this, what's in the box? I don't, it, none of that happens. And that is miraculous. <laughs> it almost felt like for me, sort of the complex, I mean, it wasn't quite as a com- complex story and, and didn't have quite as much to do as like Infinity War, but it had that sort of feel where it's like, man, they made a like really mechanically efficient like well-crafted story for how much shit is in this movie. Yeah, I, I mean, I, there are a couple a couple quibbles I have. I think that the I think it was really weird how it was like they spend the first 10 to 15 minutes of the movie setting up that like Peter Parker is in deep shit. Like people think he is a mass murderer and an international terrorist. And like the feds are raiding his house and he's being interrogated. And then Daredevil shows up and it's like, I'm a good lawyer. And we're like, okay, I guess that part's done. Yeah. <laughs> like, I will agree that with was that. really strange because it was like, you didn't have to do all that setup of like in how, how much trouble they're in to then just completely hand wave it away. Right. Because you could have, the trouble that the really like the inner motivation or the I guess the extra motivation for Peter's decision in this movie is about how much this has affected him and mostly his friend's life. Right. Right. And that stands regardless if he's an international terrorist or he's just right. too too crazy of a thing to be involved with for MIT or whoever. Exactly. Right. Like that still works. So I You're, agree with you there. Yeah. And I will say as as excited as I am to have Charlie Cox, Matt Murdock back in like back in the fold and the one two reveal of like Wednesday night, spoiler alert for Hawkeye through episode five, uh, that Kingpin that, you know, Diafro's Kingpin is back. Then seeing I was like, OK, cool. This is cool. Although I have some questions, <laughs> um, although that was probably the most forced scene of the movie for me. Yes. And felt the most like, oh, it, OK, it like felt- in a way that Marvel doesn't it like. Usually they nail the cameos and stuff, but every once in a while they don't. And this kind of felt like one of those where it didn't. This felt very reshooty. Right. Where the rest of the stuff with the other people did not for me, which yes. is kind of how I expected half this movie to feel um, like, you know, with I really expected Tommy McGuire and Andrew Garfield to like be in this movie for like five minutes at the end in a fanboy service, kind of just like, here they are. They're going to zoom around and do the thing and then leave. Right. But it's like right. they are like proper characters in this movie. As are most of the villains, which I was also surprised about. That was the one thing I liked about this was that lizards, whatever. But yeah, like I, they didn't just like I don't know they it what it didn't just feel like glorified cameos for me, and that was no. Good. I, I I think that that was it was really interesting the way they did that, and it's like this is the the thing that I've been advocating for within the Marvel universe for a long time is stop killing your villains and just bring them back as protagonists later. <laughs> like it's the it's the Fast and Furious formula, which has been working great for them. You know, they're the bad guy and you spend all this time with them and you get to know them. And then a movie or two later, they're like kind of good guys now. And you're like, cool, I like that guy. And I already know who he is. You don't need to establish this character, right? Um, yeah, and, and I felt like this movie, like that's one of the major things that was trying to almost address was that right it was like maybe we shouldn't just like i mean not that anybody was actively trying to kill their villain like a punisher style but like right maybe we should try and be trying a little harder to like 
cure and help our villains as opposed to just be like, let's lock them up or beat the shit out of them. <laughs> like, right. I thought that was an interesting, like it, it felt new, you know, and like refreshing. And, and really that was a part of the movie that had a lot of heart for me to, that it did that. Yes. And I, and I really like that. And I think that that was a really, really cool angle and not something we've done before. Um, uh, in, 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 you know, one of these types of movies where it's more about like, oh no, these are, you know, maybe these are like fundamentally okay people. Um, we just need to like fix the circumstances that drove them crazy. Um, although I think they could have like hammered home a little bit more like that Electro's problem wasn't that he was made of electricity. It's that he was this, like, he had this inferiority complex and that maybe Peter, you can't fix that. Mm-hmm. But maybe also that he is the, you know, it, it, the world he came from did that to him. Um, uh, so um, I also felt like Electra was one of the weakest parts of the villain team. Um, yeah, that, I would say Lizard was weakest, then Ele- Electro probably so tied with Sandman, and then obviously the other two are great, but... Uh, yeah, I think I think Lizard was weak because I think that he's a big cartoon lizard. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, I don't know how you can really make that character all that interesting. Um, yeah, I, mean, I, I think back to like the 90s animated show where like Kurt Connors slash Lizard was like a really prominent reoccurring character. Yeah. And like, that's how you kind of do that, where it's just like when he's Kurt Connors, he's like your best uncle. But when he's Lizard, he's just. A lizard. <laughs> yeah, it's, like, it's Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, exactly. And that's but that unfortunately, that's like a lot of Spider-Man's villains are kind of like that. So they are. Um, but um, but I think that just Jamie Foxx's performance felt very f- phoned in. Mm, yeah, um, I can agree with that. And uh, anyway, um, so, yeah, I thought this was a really interesting angle. I thought this was one of the. Uh, one of the things that I think was the major flaw here is that this movie tried to do like two different things, right? Like, oh, Peter wants to Peter wants to save them. OK, great. That's new and different. But then there's this bit at the end where it's like, oh, no, Peter wants to kill Green Goblin, but he shouldn't do that. Right. It's like a weird reversal and it doesn't really feel earned. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, it, it, it just didn't quite make sense to me. Like all of a sudden, Peter's like potentially murderous. Right. A- a- and the part where he decides he's given up on given up on saving them, that part doesn't really land. You know, I, I don't really make the connection between the death of Aunt May and Peter deciding that he's no longer interested in saving these guys because also he then he's then like trying to save them, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's almost like a sequencing issue. Like his yeah. desire to save them was the noble, you know, selfless thing to do. He gets burned by it, then becomes angry, bitter, murderous, then has to be right, you know, yeah. snapped out of it and then goes and saves them all as opposed to kind of like. Save like yeah, they just put saving them in there in the middle of that as opposed to yeah, I could see that complaint. I mean, so so right, so it's it's he's he wants to save them, like you say, he gets burnt, and then the other Spider Men like talk him out of being a psychopath, but then he goes back to being a psycho. It's weird, right? Like, what is the turning point where yeah, like I say, it's a sequencing problem. And, and and that's one of the reasons I feel like that the core emotional message here doesn't really land like, you know, yeah. what I, mean? I think it worked for me because 
I didn't like it. It almost feels a little, even though I, I probably agree with you from like a like a macro mechanical structure. I think that in the moment you get the feeling that like he's conflicted and he kind of gets pulled back in uh, by the other two, you know, by his friends and by the, the two spider moans. And but then in the heat of the moment, it all comes back to, you know, like, and that's OK for me to like that. It's not just like. I have a heel turn. Now I have another heel turn. Like these are my character moments. Like it's a, it was okay for me that it was like a, a struggle for him to kind of, I'm not viewing it as like one sickness and more like one broader, like conflict that he is kind of waffling back and forth and comes out on top. But I could see why, where you becoming yeah. from. Yeah. It, it just, I, I mean, maybe you could make it work, but I feel like it, it just, the, the groundwork wasn't laid well enough. Um, we also don't see in the movie at any point, and I understand why you can't really do this, but like we don't really see that Tom Holland's character is actually capable of murder. Um, so that then when he's about to kill Green Goblin, it doesn't totally feel like, oh, he might really kill him, you know? Yeah, I think what they were trying to do is trying to show, like talk about the darkness of the other two Spider-Mans as like a kind of ghost of christmas future kind of situation yeah. where it's like this could be you but i don't know if that connection is like easy to make because they like they're properly different people in a lot and, of ways right and it's not like like um it's not like he's meeting these other spider-men and they're coming and, and they're telling the story of how like um okay so so we know this is andrew garfield spider-man but this is an andrew garfield spider-man 10 years later who has a lot more regrets right mm-hmm and that sort of thing or 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 you know the toby Maguire spider-man of like yeah i kept being spider-man after all that and well i also killed venom and then i killed my version of mysterio you know what i mean and for <laughs> him to be like you don't get that a sense that that happened the movie's not really clear on okay is this toby Maguire like Am I seeing him like two days after Spider-Man three or 10 years later, you know, or 15 right. or however it's it's a little unclear. Um, and and those characters, those two spider sp- like Spider-Men, Spider-Men, <laughs> uh, they don't in their personality or their performance carry any darkness or regret that would make you think, oh, yes, this is the ghost of Christmas future. We can see what the you know what the um what the bad outcome is you know yeah it, they're like happy go lucky you know they're the guys we remember you know so again this is why it's like it's just not it's just not landing for me the the whole like Tom Holland learns not to kill bad guys thing because also he hasn't killed any bad guys right I mean yeah unless well Myst- you did count Mysterio the accidental die? Mysterio death right. Well, I mean, um, Spider-Man doesn't usually kill anybody, but he also, you know, he, he is death adjacent in the other movies. Right. 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 <sighs> yeah. No, I, I see what you're saying. Um, I guess I felt a little bit more like even though I still or I don't know the details, I got a little bit more of like, OK, clearly Tobey Maguire, like Tobey Spider-Man is like older, kind of more the wise, like, you know, he definitely has been doing this for a while and trying to figure, you know, kind of figured it out through a lot of, you know, turmoil and trauma. And then Garfield, like he says, I mean, like a little more, a little bit too much, maybe hell not show because there's no movie to show him. But like, yeah, oh, I got real dark, you know, bitter, blah, blah, blah. But yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Um, what did you think of like their actual sort of like presence in the movie, their performances? Like, were there any particular moments that really was like good for you? 
Um, I think they both did a good job. I, I, I think that there was a little bit of and it's tough for me because I've never seen an Andrew Garfield Spider-Man. I've only ever seen the first one, so um, and have no interest in ever seeing one. But um, OK, so so I feel like Dr. Octopus was written like the Sam Raimi Dr. Octopus, right? Mm hmm. The way he talked was, you know, and it was kind of funny because it was, you know, it, it it's much less naturalistic dialogue than what we're used to in these movies, which and it worked right. You like you got the like this is a guy from a different world and he's a weirdo, um, <laughs> but it felt like that was it was true to his character. But the Toby parts and I'm guessing the Andrew Garfield parts, too, those didn't feel like those characters as much. Um, they just felt, I don't know, in a way that like every character in a Kevin Smith movie sounds exactly the same. It's all the same voice coming out of different mouths. Mm -hmm. uh, also a Quentin Tarantino movie to a certain extent. This felt a little bit like that. Yeah, like they're, they're the MCU-ified versions of yeah. their characters. Yeah, I can see that. So that didn't quite land, but, um, and I also felt like I didn't quite get enough time to speak get to spend enough time with them to really like see the differences like i think they were trying to make like okay so the andrew garfield spider-man is the more like he's more cocky wise cracky um a little more rakish uh toby is that kind of softer gentler a little bit more like you know concerned for people's emotional well-being and i think that makes sense on paper um but then there were other times when it really just felt like Oh, it's my turn to do the punchline. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I guess that like kind of worked for me because like, I mean, it's been, I don't know, fucking 10 plus years since I've seen a Raimi Spider-Man movie and I've only ever seen the first Amazing Spider-Man, I think once. And I haven't seen the second one. Although I've watched like a couple of clips, um, but absorbed most of the story just through like, you know, nerd osmosis, I mm -hmm. guess. Um, so I wasn't so much on the lookout for like their characters feeling like their characters, but I kind of liked that bit because it felt like they are different. But at the end of the day, they're also all Peter Parker, who is kind of a wisecracky, yeah. jokey kind of guy. So that kind of worked for me. Th they're variations on. Well, and, and the, the mechanics of this aren't entirely clear, but like they seem to be variations on the same central kind of spirit, you know, and, and that yeah. generally works. But there were some definite times where I felt like they abandoned any kind of individual characteristics of them and just let them be, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would have liked to see. I think what I would have liked to have seen was like a little more, even though I, in general, I really liked the action scenes in this movie, like the fight scenes I thought were like, especially the ones where he's fighting Green Goblin are like mm -hmm. very like intense, almost like brutal is like not the right word, but like you really feel like people are like <laughs> breaking bones and they're punching each other yes. and stuff, which is like good because I feel like so many things we talked about in recent times have we complained about it feeling like loose and detached and flighty and not like impactful for the action. Right. Yeah. That, yeah. And this definitely some of, at least some of the fight scenes really like did not feel that way, which was good. It would have been fun to see a little bit more of like their personality come out and they're like Spider-Man styles like yeah. in the final fight. But that's also a lot to do in it, given the, the scale of like the set piece. But yeah. And I also don't know that it would have even read on screen. Right. Um, I, I think and I also think that they were maybe a little too a little too true to the um, costumes mm. um, to the extent where in the big final action sequence, I 
you know, obviously I, I could identify the Tom Holland Spider-Man because he had the, the gold details. Right. But the other two, totally interchangeable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, you maybe could have solved that by, you know, again, if you're if you're playing with, well, maybe this is a little bit later. Like, yeah. Why doesn't he have another? I mean, like Tom Holland had like 70 different suits in this <laughs> one movie. You know, like we would be fine if, you know, Tobey Maguire showed up in like a, a black suit and he was like, yeah, I, you know, uh, getting a little older. The red isn't for me anymore. Boom. Yeah. done. You know, and now it, it's a little easier to, to to read the final action sequence. Although I think that 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 didn't really end up mattering. No, no. Because their masks come out eventually. And yeah. Whatever. And it's just like it's three different Spider-Man and Spider-Man and they all have the same powers. So it's not like I really need to care about who's doing what, you know, mm. I will say the one speaking of costumes, the uh, the one little detail that I loved, uh, which like, took me a little bit to like figure out what was going on is like, you know, how you get splashed with the paint. Yeah. And because in the in the, you know, in the lead to me, they're like, oh, Spider-Man's got a, a black suit in this. And it's like, maybe it's a special thing made by Doctor Strange, blah, 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 blah. And like when I saw him wearing this black suit, I was like, what is he wearing? Why is there like wires on the inside? And I realized like. Holy shit, he just has his costume on inside out because yeah. it's got paint on it. And I'm like, that is it was I just like when the realization hit, I thought that was very funny and like a very nice little in movie continuity like gag that I was just like, that's really, really funny. actually. Yeah, it's cute, but it's also like, uh, I just feel like they did this for the toys, you know, like, oh, got to give him a new suit and a fancy glove. <laughs> Could be. But I just felt the, the fact that it like it looked stupid, like all the little wires sticking yeah. out. Like, I just thought that was funny. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously the toys are important, Greg. The most important part of these movies is merchandising. Um, <laughs> what did you think of, uh, okay. So just stick on the other Spider-Man for now. Um, yeah, I was, I liked that they were like properly in this movie as, you know, characters. I was surprised at how early they showed up, uh, in the runtime and in a good way. There's a couple gags. I was like, all right, whatever. Uh, but I did like their overall performances. They definitely, it definitely didn't feel reassuity and it didn't feel like they were phoning it in. Like, I mm-hmm. kind of expected Tony McGuire to be like, am I really doing this again, guys? Like, Andrew Garfield, I, I know, always liked playing Peter Parker and he was like a good Peter Parker, even if his movies kind of sucked. So I was kind of like, he'll be fine. But I was curious, but he did really, Tony McGuire did a really good job. And like you said, I think he cared a little bit more of that, like, heartfelt, older, wiser Spider-Man, which was good. You know, the scene where he stops him from killing, you know, is, is pretty, pretty, pretty related for me pretty well. And the scene where Garfield saves MJ, um, you know, I've not seen that movie, <laughs> just being familiar with that plot line and having seen that scene, he did a pretty good job with his emotional acting in the film, I thought. Yeah. And there's a lot of I just read rumor today. It's like they're talking about like courting Andrew Garfield for more Spider-Man stuff. And there's some people rumbling of if they're not going to like kind of reintegrate him and make him the Spider-Man for their like Venom Morbius bullshit universe which is like fine have them stay the fuck out of my the shit i like i i mean i i need to watch the venom movies i understand oh, they are i have bad. an idea greg i wanted to tell you about this by the way uh-huh so our good good friend of the show uh michael karstetter mm-hmm. he is sort of unsurprisingly uh a defender of the venom movies and i had the idea that why don't we like I mean, maybe not together because logistically it'd be difficult, but in tandem, uh, partake in this, the mind altering substance of our choice and uh-huh. watch these two movies and then talk about it on the show. I mean, I, I, I've been meaning to watch the Venom 
movies. I, I, I'm curious about them because it, they are one of these. Um, they're one of these things that like I, I'm not saying that there's necessarily a crossover between Venom fans and Zack Snyder fans, but there's a similar vibe about people who like the Venom movies. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Oh, like, I, I would say that is a very strong like Ben Ben diagram. I okay, but so I'm I'm. It's like because it it does seem like I like I don't think that the Venom movies are love them or hate them movies because I definitely think most people hate them. But I'm very curious about what these uh, creeps see. <laughs> what these creeps see in these movies. I'm, I'm curious, curious as well, but I don't think I can get through it not drunk. So oh, I don't think I'm. Yes, I don't think I'm. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I, but like I say, I'm I'm curious about these movies because um, just the little bits I've seen, I'm like, I kind of like, I mean, Tom Hardy is going for it, but he's going for it in a way that I, I can, I can get behind um, anyway. Yeah. I, from what I've heard, a lot of people describe them as like, yeah, you remember the Andrew Garfield movies? They were pretty bad. That's what these kind of feel like, except Tom Hardy's a weirdo in it. And a lot of people really like that. And individual like character performance is not something that I tend to like, unless it's someone doing something like really outrageous. I feel like the opposite. I feel like this is Tom Hardy going in for a way that I have no interest in, but um, I don't know. It, it's definitely, he's definitely doing a thing uh, from the few, you know, clips I've seen. And then obviously his, uh, his presence in this movie at the end. And I see, I've seen the after credits trailer for his movie that led into this movie and same kind of thing. But I just do do not like I don't know. Venom is fine. <laughs> uh there's a way to do Venom cool, I think. I don't think these movies know what that is and they're doing it weird, which might be a better choice than trying to go like fully just like grimdark with it, but I don't know. <laughs> I I like I I don't really care about what Sony does within their little walled garden. Well, I guess I should say I care less about what Sony does in their little thing than what I care about what goes on in the MCU. Although I should say, I don't really care about what goes on <laughs> on the MCU. Um, I mean, you care enough to talk about it on a podcast for like two hours. true. <laughs> um, I, I, I think that, I mean, I like the idea of what they've done where it's like, yeah, we're sending Tom Hardy's Eddie Brock and whatever baggage comes with him for good or ill. We're sending him back to his universe, but we have left a piece of the symbiote in our universe that we can then choose to do whatever we like with. Because I do think there's something that's been interesting in the comics is when um, they've like venomified other characters um, where, uh, you know, characters other than Eddie Brock or Peter Parker get the symbiote. And um, that's kind of interesting. And I think you could do like some like within the MCU, you could do some really like Basically, attach the symbiote to any existing character and make them the villain of a movie, right? Right. That there, there's so many cool things you could do with that. Like, why not give Hawkeye the symbiote, <laughs> right? And that, and and you know, it, it, it just it's this really cool X factor you can throw in there and do surprising things with. And um, I like that idea. What I don't like is, and I haven't been paying super close attention because I haven't actually read like a you know proper 616 continuity marvel comic in probably 10 years but i've you know you catch it here and there little glimpses or whatever read a summary go down a wiki rabbit hole over lunch or something they've really made like symbiotes like a big part of like 
the Marvel mythos yeah, now. It's, yeah, and I'm like, I, mm, I don't know about that. It's probably gotten a little bigger than it needs to be, but I think that this is an interesting like this. This opens a lot of potential doors to do cool things within the MCU. Yeah, one of my fa- a fun one of my favorite runs was um the post Civil War uh New Avengers run um where that was like this was like the team that was like the non registered team. They were like underground and it was like a lot of really fun, more street level characters. Right. It was like Spider-Man, Luke Cage, mm-hmm. you know, Doctor Strange, like he's not street level, but you know what I mean? Like they were like underground doing fun stuff and they had to fight the other proper Avengers team. And it was really good. But the one one of the big crossovers was like someone dropped like basically like a I don't know the context, but it was like a symbiote bomb in New York. Mm-hmm. And all of the bad guy, all the good guys got symbiotified and turned into monsters basically except for well you know the ones who met like luke cage impenetrable skin and wolverine who was also on the team and like his the symbiote's like trying to bind to his body but his body is like pushing it out because it's like yeah. a disease and he's just like being ripped apart and he's like i am an excruciating <laughs> stop <laughs> so that was a fun one but yeah like seeing like i remember like miss marvel got venom fine you're like oh shit <laughs> like <laughs> yeah there's just a lot of yeah there's a lot of like interesting um and it gives you an opportunity to turn any of your existing heroes into villains for a movie right right um uh which i like and that brings me around to um um i uh i I mean calling it a post-credit scene is 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 a blatant lie it was a trailer for dr strange 2 yeah weird choice but okay but you know what fine fine I mean, the post, I was kind of like, that's weird, but also the post credit scenes are basically trailers anyway. Yes, so exactly. Like- <laughs> that's exactly what they are. Um, and, and I honestly, I, I like the idea of sticking around, you know, more of sticking around to like, not just get a tease of something that like might kind of happen, but like actually sell me on the next movie. Um, and, and do whatever you want, you know, and, and you can use that opportunity to really tie it into the events of this movie. Great, but that looks pretty cool, and the way that they're setting up that, like, the bad guy in that movie is just evil Doctor Strange, I'm like, yes, this is a good villain. Have you watched the What If episode? I have not. Um, If you don't watch any of them, I think it's episode four, possibly three, watch that episode, because it is, it, I assume they're going to use, that's going to be the implication yeah. that it's that Doctor Strange. It is really good. <laughs> yeah, like, I... Super dark and really fucked up, and you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I um, I think I watched the first episode or two of What If, and uh, <laughs> um, Captain Carter or whatever, like mm-hmm. uh, Amazon Lady Captain America, got me feeling ways about stuff. Uh, and then I never tuned back in. <laughs> but <laughs> ways um, about stuff. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I discovered um, something about myself. <laughs> oh, there you go. Like. Ooh, big strong super lady. I mean, maybe Haley uh, Atwell is is a cutie pie. You know, for me, sure. she's a, she's awesome. Just saying, um, when, when She Hulk comes out, I might have to. That might have to be a <laughs> watch with the door closed kind of kind of show. We'll see. Right. <laughs> um, anyway, all right. but yeah, hey, no, man, like, I, you do you. <laughs> yeah, I um, I um. It, 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 this kind of leads back to what I was saying earlier of like you know like using the characters you have. Either just like switching them over to good guy or bad guy based on what the movie needs. Like, that's so much more interesting. And I think that, you know, giving your giving these really 
good actors more to do and, you know, bring them back and um, like, yeah, whatever. The Hulk's the bad guy in this. Who cares? Let's watch the Hulk be a bad guy, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. And um, I it was fun to see. I mean, that was like, you know, to go to the villains of this movie. I just really enjoyed the ones who weren't, you know, who the better version, like Molina and Defoe were like really good in this movie, just like totally understand what movie they're in hitting it out of the park just like going for it i mean i even liked i mean what i liked what saying that earlier for like them being characters like and the characters that are in those movies like they could have really easily like and i really thought they were going to just like we're gonna say we're pulling in these characters but they're really just gonna be like the shell of a character from yeah. those movies and we're just gonna project what we need them to do in the plot on this because I was like, well, why are they bringing in Sandman? Like, he was a good guy at the end of Spider-Man 3, right? And it's like, oh, no. He was like, when he shows up, he's like, hey, Peter, what's up? Why Why is this guy fighting us? It's just like, oh, okay. Like, they're going to just, like, assume that you know. And they're going to really, truly pick off, pick up where they left off, which I thought was, like, kind of a bold move. Even though, like, it makes sense because that's, like, the path of least resistance. It, it still feels like they could have very easily. I mean, maybe they probably fudge Electra a little bit because his character seemed a little dumb in that movie. But... From what I've seen anyway, and not make him blue and stuff, which was apparently just to Jamie Fox. I was like, I'm not doing the blue thing again. It's, like, it's fair. Uh, what did you think of, of particularly like, OK, so Molina was just like being a goofball. Um, I liked, you know, him being like, you know, them, them fixing him and like him being like you said, like these characters are fun to switch back and forth. Although more broadly speaking, I don't really think Doc Ock falls in like the sympathetic villain category very often. But I could be mistaken. He always seemed a little more like mustache swirly for me. But uh, this version of the character, it makes sense. And, you know, to have him get fixed and then be a good guy is like, yeah, that's what that character would do, I think. Well, and it, it you know, it's that's the way things were. Um, that's the way things were set up in that in Spider-Man 2. Yeah. It, you know, it was he was this like good, caring, you know, uh, you know, a bit goofy, but also within, I mean, th- those movies were a little bit more goofy and, you know, melodramatic than what we're used to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, within the context of the movie, great, fine. Um, you know, and, but then the, yeah, the arms made him insane. That's, that was a plot point. And, um, you know, just to fix, you know, like, yeah, we, we can fix that. Like, yeah, it makes sense. Um, and then to see him snap back into that, like, sensitive, caring guy really worked. Um, I think that, man, I mean, Willem Dafoe is a great actor, and it's really good to see him just being like, like you say, like, yeah, he knows what movie he's in. Um, and not, and not trying to be in any different, not trying to, like, elevate things or, like, no, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, it's, 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 it's 20 years later. I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna bring a little bit more subtlety to this, um, but that's not what he did. But he definitely stepped it up. Like honestly, I think there's something about this. I mean, something about his performance in this, the, um, the way he uses his face. Yeah. Um, and it's all. It's like one of the biggest gripes about you know about Spider-Man One. Raimi one, I guess we'll say, is that uh, you've got Willem Dafoe and you've just put him in this fucking mask the whole time. And like, you know, they're communicating by like bobbing their heads around like fucking Power Rangers actors, you know, (laughs) and it's like, oh, God, you know, and and then, oh, the mask talks to him and the mask represents the evil. And like, it's almost like this whole time you watch this movie. It's almost like this whole 
whole time, Will the Foe's like, I just I I told Sam I could just do it with my face. I told him I could just make the goblin face, <laughs> and he didn't believe me. He made me wear that stupid mask. And he's like, finally, I'm gonna sh- fucking show them all I could do it with my face. And he does. Like it, it you know, he just the the you know, like the way that like he just shows when he is in goblin mode just by like completely contorting his faith into like this genuinely scary like grin is is really really good um mm-hmm. it's it such a good job with that um and then like when the part the times when like oh he's like he's being norman and he's like confused and you know uh a little crazy like yeah that works too um uh really really and, and you never get the sense and again this all comes down to his performance that Oh, when he's Norman, he's really the goblin pretending to be Norman. It's like, yeah. oh no, like you, you, you genuinely believe that he is Norman. Uh, so he, he just did a fantastic job. And I think Melina did a fantastic job too. Um, but I think he had a little bit of an easier sure. job. Yeah. I mean, I, it's weird. I have mixed feelings because I, I prefer a more like, if I'm going to make my Norman Osborn character, I prefer a more like aggro, hyper capitalist, like, Lex Luthor, but in Marvel. Yeah, basically. And then sometimes <laughs> he goes fucking insane. Um, but like you said, like just like to your point about Doc Ock, it's like that's the character that yeah. was made in Spider-Man 1. And that's what I mean about like they really took those characters and dropped them in this universe. And I like the way they interact with each other where it's like they because like it'd be very easy just to make them be like all just be basically be interacting with like Peter more or less. Or maybe one of them is like the leader and they're all just kind of just like goons to them but like they have their own little interactions and they're like oh you died like what the fuck like that's so crazy like yeah no you died like what are you talking about like i just liked that it felt very you know realistic's not the right word but you know what i mean it felt very like uh natural for that to happen yeah. and, and like the way they comment on like the technology of this world and like electricity's our character and it's just like ooh what's that <laughs> you know yeah. and, and just stuff like that where it just felt like they really were their characters dropped into this place and that was cool for me yeah and i think that they um i think that was a bold choice of like even yeah like and they really tried to write like their dialogue sounds like their dialogue from the old movies even though it's really out of place in this world you know um uh I, I think that was a bold choice and there was a big chance of that not working, but it, 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 they sell it and without explaining it, like there's no point where, you know, like the, 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 the kids, you know, look at each other and be like, hey, this guy talks like a weirdo, right? And then Doc, mm-hmm. Doc, that's the way we all talk in my world, you horrible whippersnappers. You know, it was just like, you just get it and they don't have, they, they don't waste any time explaining it and, it and it still works. And that, I think that's a really nice trick. Um, I mean, I do think that the Garfield villains felt a lot thinner. Well, <laughs> but that's the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I do think that that, you know, I think that there was an opportunity to give some depth to Electro. But I think Jamie Foxx, again, just didn't really feel like he was all that interested. Yeah. Um, he also got the feeling like he was unwilling to do hair and makeup to any real extent. So they had to, like, explain why he looks different in this reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. You know, I was kind of there were some rumors about it. And I was also kind of hoping that like there was part of me was hoping that like at the end of this movie that Defoe's Osborne would like stick around. Um, I mean, I think the movie ended it the right way. It would have felt a little incomplete if he just like scooted off on his glider and was like, next time, Spidey. And like, you know, like, whatever, yeah. that wouldn't be great. But um, I just and as the performance won, I'm like, please just stick around. You're so great. You're hamming it up. I love this kind of like 
more over the top, ridiculous villain. And like, I, I feel a little torn because his performance sold it, but like the level of aggression that he had towards like this Peter Parker was so intense. I was like, why do you like hate this guy? Something, but it's like, he's the green goblin. He's fucking crazy. Like, yeah, no, he's, he's, he's a murderous psychopath. And like, I mean, what did you think about the, uh, like, um, Aunt May stuff? Uh, didn't really land for me. Gotta be honest. Um, it, it didn't really land. Um, I mean, I thought it was interesting that these movies never had their Uncle Ben scene. Um, but I don't, okay. So it's one thing for, in in all the other Spider-Man stories, how at the very beginning of the story, you don't really know Aunt May and Uncle Ben other than like, oh, they're the kindly old aunt and uncle, right? That's all you really know about them. Mm-hmm. Um, and Uncle Ben dies and he gives this speech about power and responsibility. And you're like, OK, I guess I guess he was that kind of guy. OK, um, I never really got to know him. This is all I know about him. But we've spent a fair amount of time with this Aunt May. And that doesn't seem like the kind of speech this Aunt May would give. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I could see that. Um, I think they try to do probably a little bit too. I like I like the direction they went with it and I like the idea of it. I think maybe to your point, they try to do like a little too much legwork in this movie with her to kind of represent her as like, you know, the heart and conscience of this version of Peter Parker. Just because, yeah. we, like you said, we, she's basically just been in the movie, only in the movie for gags like prior to this. Right. And he's um, he's always had like he, th- this Peter Parker has just always kind of had a pretty strong moral center. Right. Yeah. We haven't had to teach him this lesson yet. Yeah. And also you the the power and responsibility speech only really makes sense after he demonstrates some irresponsibility. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like that. That's the you know, honestly, the we've come to put a lot of importance on the speech, but the speech is just the is just shouting the lesson of the of the action scene really loud. So the dumbest dummies in the back get it right. The whole, mm-hmm. Because honestly, if you have half of a brain cell, the scene of Peter decides not to stop the burglar because it's not his problem. And then the burglar kills Uncle Ben. Uh, it's like, oh, yeah, guess maybe you should actually use your powers for good. Huh? Right. Like you don't need Uncle Ben to tell you that it's kind <laughs> of already there. But then Uncle Ben has to say it because there are dumb dumbs in the world who need everything spelled out for them. Mm-hmm. But so you don't really need the speech. But if you're going to do the speech, you also need to show Tom Holland acting irresponsibly in a way that Aunt May can kind of teach him about. Like you could argue like, yeah, him fucking up the spell and all that was act- him acting irresponsibly. But it wasn't doesn't really line up with like the whole like power and responsibility thing, because it's not like he was using his powers irresponsibly or refusing to use them, you know, irresponsibly. He was just kind of being a teenager while Doctor Strange was casting a spell with a teenager in the room. <laughs> yeah, fucking dumb dumb. Uh, <laughs> I see uh, what you're saying. I think I I kind of felt like they were trying to reframe it a little bit about I interpreted it more like moving away from that sort of origin perspective and making it more like the responsibility isn't isn't about just being a callous, irresponsible greedy teenager or whatever he's supposed to be coming across as in the sort of classic origin story. The responsibility is about like, you know, not only can you do these crazy things, 
and like you've been helping people, but you need to think more about how to help them even further and how to help them more holistically, which was what, you know, she's the one who kind of through the actions with Norman and through, you know, trying to help, you know, kind of being on Peter's side for this and reconfirming that instinct he had that she he must that she must have instilled in him. I kind of liked that reframing a little bit where and they said maybe it was just a little bit too not enough build up to that in this just from her perspective. Right. But uh, I liked that that reframing of it. But he was also he was already doing the responsible thing, right? He was already trying to fix the systemic problems instead of just, well, to an extent. Right. Like, right. That more holistic, you know, not just, um, you know, fight the bad guy and call it a day kind of thing, you know, punch punch justice into this bad guy. Um, <laughs> but, but I think that like her telling him that like kind of on her, you know, on her deathbed after, you know, because she's looking ahead and saying, oh, he's going to, you know, like this is because of us trying to show some compassion that can maybe. easily go the other way. I don't know, that's how I read it, at least. Right. But then, yeah. So that's that's just what that that's just what I mean. Like, it's that um, again, I think it comes down to that sequencing thing Mm -hmm. of he's doing the right thing. And then in the in the context of doing the in the or in the process of doing the um, of doing the right thing, Aunt May reminds him it's important to do the right thing. And then he goes and and then the other Spider-Man remind him that it's important to do the right thing. And then he does the right thing. And then he almost doesn't do the right thing. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's this kind of, uh, like I say, doesn't really land. And I think it, some of it is the sequencing. Some of it is, it felt a bit shoehorned in, I guess. Mm, okay. I kind of want to watch it again and see if I feel that way on a second watch or if it feels more like kind of how I remember it, where it seems like more like he's kind of walking this tightrope and you've got at multiple points, you've got people kind of, it takes a village, right? Like different folks in his life kind of like shoring him up. Which is kind of an ironic thing to do leading up to him basically having no one. Because <laughs> you're like, well, if he didn't have his friends and his aunt and these other Spider-Men to kind of keep him in line and like other past mentors, like, where would he be? It's like, well, I guess we're going to fucking find out real quick. Yeah. Um, and that's and that's and that's I think is 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 one of the flaws here is that, you know, this this movie is a lot of like Peter Parker learning, learning lessons, learning how to be a better man, learning to put himself second, all those things. But he was already that guy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. He was he was already that guy. And this movie didn't like, um, you know, didn't uh, didn't bring him down enough to the point where it's a redemption story. So, yeah, it, it, that's that's what's a little bit weird about it for me. Um, I mean, honestly, I think that uh when I think about Into the Spider-Verse, um, and, and I think that movie did a such better job of like really uh, the movie is about like what it means to be Spider-Man. And that's the lesson that Miles learns um, through his encounters with the other spider people, you know, what it means to be Spider-Man, what it means to be a hero. Um, and that was so much more powerfully communicated, I think, in Spider-Verse than here, in part because it just felt like Peter already knew how to be a hero. And this Mm -hmm. movie didn't really test him. Or if it did test him, it tested him, I think, too late in the story. Right. If if the death of Aunt May is the test, that comes too late in the story. Mm. That's probably a fair criticism. Um, uh, Yeah. Did you like um, how 
uh, in the previews, it was hard to see, but everyone's like, oh, you know, Green Goblin's going to get a character, like a comic accurate costume as opposed to like the green suit from the Raimi film or whatever. And it's just a fucking beat up hoodie. <laughs> so I kind of liked it. I thought it was a nice little nod. Um, but I also think it did a good job of um, communicating through communicating through costuming. Um <laughs> making him seem much more unhinged and chaotic, right? Yeah. Because now all of a sudden it's no longer this like sleek, you know, Power Ranger armor. It's, you know, it's all of these jagged lines and everything's torn up and asymmetrical and weird. And that does make him seem more dangerous, unpredictable, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I actually think that works really well. Um, I think like when he shows up and like for a second, he's wearing sunglasses, uh, but then those disappear. I'm, I'm really glad that the scenes of him and goggles got cut. Cause Oh God, uh, <laughs> that was, that was ugly. Um, it was a little bit unbelievable where it's like implied that this entire time he's been wearing that suit underneath his baggy hoodie and like weird green goodwill coat. Mm-hmm. I was like, uh, that was under there. Oh, I don't know about that, um, but whatever. I mean, that's a that's a small quibble because I think the costume design actually did a really good job of um, and also, uh, you know, kind of giving you a visual and indi- visual indication that like, oh, this is this character is a step beyond the 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 Green Goblin you knew before. Right. You know, the, the visually indicating like this is a different this is this is a new a new level for him. Right. He looks different now. It's as opposed to just which is also what they did with Electro to kind of visually indicate this isn't the same guy, uh, yeah. which they didn't do as much with Octopus and Sandman. Right. Right. Everybody see yeah, That's that's who they are. Um which, you know, makes sense because they didn't, you know, they they didn't really move move away from who they were. So, um, yeah, I, I like the costuming choices. Yeah. A couple of just like little tiny things I wanted to point out that I liked or thought was interesting. And then I'm going to get into like where I feel like the biggest weakness kind of plot wise mm-hmm. is for this movie. A couple of things I liked is I liked uh, I liked the, the way Electro fought in the last thing where he like is like teleporting. Yeah. Like. With lightning strikes, that was just like a very visually cool and compelling thing. Um, I also liked when Salmon was filling up uh, the Statue of Liberty and Toby Maguire's inside. Yeah. Because I don't know if that like same thing happened. I don't think it did, but it felt like a very like, I don't know, the the, the effects of it felt like a very Sam Raimi Spider-Man yes. like, thing to do. And I don't know what about it feels that way, but it just felt that way to me. Yeah. And, you know, it was it was a nice like um uh, yeah i think they did a really good job of like using those powers in a way like oh sandman's not just like a shapeshifter right like he's he it's also like oh he might just drown you in sand you know right. like i like that and then yeah like oh yeah it's electro like if he's just electricity like he should be able to like to bounce around and you know i was like these are neat ideas and i think that they were executed fairly well i think that uh lizard didn't have enough to do in the fight. And I get it. I'm like, well, what? He's just a big, he's a strong guy, right? Like, that's it. He, he doesn't yeah. really have any interesting powers, which um, is what it is. And um, I mean, I guess if you had to choose between using him and all of the plot things that he unlocks versus some new villain to round things out, you go with him. Um, I also, there was a, there was, 
there were a couple points where I realized in the in the final fight, uh, like Dr. Octopus just conveniently disappears for a big chunk of this movie. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? Like, this is uh, what are you like? And and also there are a couple points where just also Green Goblin just disappears. Like he's bombing a bridge in Manhattan and then just fucks off for a while. What? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely some like comic hand wavy like, and they're just off gonna be off screen for a while now. Don't yeah, ask any yeah. questions. Well, and, and I notice it. I, I, I'm not. This is a minor quibble, but yeah. Here's what's. Uh, oh, one other thing is like, I guess I just, I don't know if they just like, I don't remember this. Uh, I know that Green Goblin is supposed to be like stronger and tougher, but <laughs> they made him really powerful in this movie, which mm-hmm. I thought was like interesting. It's fine. I don't have any problems with it. I just don't remember it being. Any version of Green Goblin being like, I'm going to punch you through concrete floors now. It was fun for like a, a fight symmetry kind of way because that like fight scene in the apartment building was like pretty fucking cool. Yeah. Uh, so I'm I'm like, I'm I'm fine with it. But I was just like, huh, OK, good fight scene there. Yeah. though, And also the fight scene with them at the end of the movie when they're just like beating the shit of each other. I'm just like, OK, I'm into this. Yeah, it's it's you know, it, it was all of the action sequences, I think, were really well done. Um, you know, and, and, and like that fight, like it gives you a sense of like, yeah, this is like, if you had to just like, they're both really strong, but they're also both really tough. Like, what would that fight actually look like? Um, something that like, I feel like even Logan didn't get quite right. I rewatched Logan recently, but like, you know, the fights between Logan and clone Logan, like it didn't really feel like, oh, this is what happens when the, uh, like this is what a fight between people of these power, this power level would look like. Yeah. Yeah. I, and that's something that like generally the MCU has done pretty well. I think like balance, like getting people's power levels and like, you know, there's some tweaks where like eh, maybe Captain America is a little stronger than he's maybe typically shown. Yeah. You know, Thor is maybe slightly weaker, but still pretty strong. Like it's really easy to make everyone a very similar power level. I'm trying to think what I was watching recently where, oh, uh, wheel time. It's kind of just like, I don't really know what everyone's like relative strength levels are like. Everyone kind of seems like generically strong in their own way. And like, that's not I think something else I was watching, too, that was just like, I guess everyone just has like some level of super strength. And that's kind of dull. Uh, I think that um, I guess Eternals was kind of like that, where like every character has their own special power. But then they're also all kind of like a base level of like super strength, super healing, super yeah. whatever, which like you can do. Um, but I think it takes a lot of the stakes and complexity out. Like that's something that Sanderson does that I didn't I don't love. and. And I think it's, it'll be fine long term, but like in the Stormlight books where it's just like anyone who is a Knight's Radiant, like has effectively like Wolverine level healing ability and also like stuff like that. And it's like, OK, I guess. But that just makes everyone really powerful. Yeah, but it's the only way you can do really big, dramatic anime ass fight scenes. Sure. Again, between superpowered people. Otherwise, it's like, oh, I, I like I punched you and I've vaporized your entire body you know like right. otherwise you've got to you've got to solve that problem somehow um but one thing i like that this movie did for the most part when it comes to the action sequences and the fight fighting um which uh some of the other marvel movies don't always get right um which is like the way the characters fight like they're they're using their powers and everybody fights has kind of a unique fighting style that's based on their powers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
it's not just, oh, once they start fighting, it's just Spider-Man just like doing Spider-Man karate, right? Like there are some really cool moves where like, and I think they stole some of these from the video game, but like where he's like using the webs to like, you know, like propel himself around the room to like do a big kick, you know, mm-hmm. um, that's cool. That's what I want to see um, rather than everybody just doing variations on the same kind of, you know, uh, movie karate. Right. Uh, That's something that we didn't always said, like that the initial Avengers team was like too punchy. Yeah. Which is why he wanted to add Scarlet Witch and Quicksilver to, you know, the second movie. Because he's like, I need less punching. <laughs> yeah. Um, and even like I, I just keep thinking of like and I think it. it it's fairly compelling on its own, but like in Winter Soldier, the fight between Iron Man, Captain America and Bucky, um, it's just like I, I remember watching that and like, yeah, it's 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 a dynamic fight scene to watch. But it's also like, OK, if Captain America is like like one of the things these movies have is established. I mean, it's not karate, but I'm saying karate. He's mm-hmm. good at karate. Right. Like he's a he's a really good hand to hand fighter. He's not just super strong and tough, but like dude has moves, you know. And Bucky also does for some reason. But the way that like Tony Stark, who's just a dude in a suit, is able to like keep pace with these guys in any meaningful hand to hand way. I was like, I don't know, man, that doesn't that doesn't jive for me. Right. Um, And I feel like this this movie and, and later Marvel movies generally have like done a much much better job of like thinking through like, okay. If this is your power set and this is your background, how are you actually going to fight? Not just, well, everybody is also just super good at martial arts. Yeah. Yeah, I get what you're saying. That's why I like Infinity War so much is because like all those fight scenes, every single character is doing character things. Yes. And that's like all those set pieces are so much fun because of that. You know, the fight in Wakanda, you've got you've got Bucky on the ground just like. Shooting, punching, just shooting dudes, shooting dudes, and you've got Captain America like punching one of those like aggressive aliens at a time, and you've got War Machine taking out thousands of them with his missiles and rockets. And it's like, yeah, that's fine. Like that's what this is about. And to try and like reduce people down to just like, well, I'm just gonna land and start punching them. It's like, okay, why? Why would would War Machine ever be on the ground? Yeah, why would you ever do that? Like if if you know and and. And you would think that, like, once he gets on the ground, he should be bad. You know, like those. I mean, the truth is, I mean, not to get super hard sci fi with it, but like even if you say like, oh, well, the suit makes them faster. Right. Uh, That's going to that's going to hurt your bones. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Right. Like if your suit is like just marionetting you around inside of it. Like you, it's gonna, you're gonna die. Yeah, (laughs) how your body works. Yeah, I think the Um, fight in Civil War that you're referencing. I feel like I want to watch it again closely. I feel like it's very clear that he's that like Tony Stark's getting the shit kicked out of him. But it doesn't matter because he's in the suit. Once Bucky shows up, yeah, I think I might be remembering this wrong, but I I, my memory is it just felt a little bit like eh, this Tony Stark is a little too good at karate. Like, yeah, real real world Tony Stark should be dog shit. Once things, <laughs> once things get within punch, punching zone, he should be completely unmatched. Right. Because yeah. he's just a fucking rich kid in a suit. Mm-hmm. I liked the motivation in my mind for him getting down and dirty and punching because he's like, yes, it's an emotional moment. But right. that's when he should have just gotten absolutely demolished. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Um, I wanted to. So here's my biggest complaint about the movie, I think, from like a much larger, like not like CinemaSins plot hole, but like. Uh, I don't fully understand 
how this worked and it kind of has an impact on like the entire plot and also potentially the plot of movies down the road. I mean, not so much because it's pretty specific to this one, but like, so they said that one of the driving factors for the whole plot of this movie is that these bad guys are coming out of their universe because they know who Peter Parker is and they want to kill him. That's why they're here. Did I get that right? Like that's like said in the movie. Yes. However, a Sandman does no longer want to kill Peter Parker, mm-hmm. which they kind of hand wave away when he shows up. And clearly the other two Peter Parkers don't want to murder Peter Parker and they do know who he is. So, OK. But then the sort of climax of the movie is that, you know, the rifts in the multiverse are cracking, which was cool visually. Um, Doctor Strange is trying to maintain it. And he's like, all of these people are trying to come kill you. And the solution to that is to make everyone forget who you are. Right. To basically erase the the idea of Peter Parker from everyone's memory. Right. But like, A, does that mean that that would imply that like, I, I still just, it doesn't make sense to me of like why the other people, like if that was the reason all these people are just trying to come kill you, why were the other Spider-Man, Spider-Man here and villains who are no longer trying to kill you? And then does that mean that you, that Doctor Strange had the ability to erase the knowledge of Peter Parker from every universe? So I don't think that's what happened. Now, I it doesn't quite make sense to me of exactly why and how these other people got pulled into the Prime universe. Um, why just this, I'm looking for a person named blah, blah, blah. Um, but I'm willing to accept like, ah, magic. Um, uh, especially when it also, cause it, it's very clearly not just crossing, um, multiverses. There's also some time stuff going on here, right? Mm-hmm. Because yeah, they're coming from different points in their timelines. Yes. Um, so anyway, I don't know. I'm, I'm a little okay with that. I don't think that we're to believe that Dr. Strange erased the concept of Peter Parker from every timeline. I think we're just supposed to believe he he erased the concept of Peter Parker from our timeline. Yeah, that's what I would impl- that's what I assumed, I, I think that's what they but, were getting at, but yeah. Yeah, I think they just like And I also don't think they sold that enough. I I had to think about that a little too hard at home of like what exactly happened? Yeah, there's a lot of fuck questions where it's like, okay, so like Spider-Man still exists, but right. everyone just doesn't know that he's Peter Parker. Okay, so like Peter Parker never existed. So like <sighs> It's also a little weird because, I mean, and again, I guess magic, but like there's one thing to be like, oh, we're racing everyone's memory of this person. OK, fine. But if you're just erasing memory, like like Peter Parker still has a social security number, <laughs> right? Like he still has like he still like did we also remove him from record books? You know, like it does Midtown High not have records of a student named Peter Parker? Um, he clearly had enough identification to get himself a cheap apartment. <laughs> um, he's calling himself Peter Parker. Uh, it, it's just very like, I'm a little curious about how that actually works. And I know, eh, magic. We're moving into Doctor Who territory now. We're just like, eh, don't worry about it. Yeah. Um, and I'm fine to do that. I yes, just didn't I am like too. the particular of like, they made a very strong point around like explaining why. The guys were coming to this universe, but they didn't need to do that. They could have been like, eh, the multiverses are converging and there's a bunch of villains from your whatever. Like they just could have come up with like, I just feel like the sort of 
plot mechanism they put out to like explain that didn't jive internally yeah. and it kind of was like wait what right like i understand didn't really need to like address some of that i understand why they did it like uh metatextually right like i understand that you have to tie it to peter parker specifically not spider-man because you are elsewhere working on other spider-men right you have a miles morales that exists in a an alternate universe that we know is uh parallel to this one right Mm -hmm. so you and for whatever business reasons you want to keep miles morales out of this franchise um interestingly enough there were a lot of people in my theater reminding the screen about the existence of miles morales and openly asking where he is um (laughs) but so i understand why you have to do it that way and then i think it also uh at least um it also sets you up for the supposed uh uh sacrifice that peter makes at the end right right um but it is a little it's a little weird it doesn't quite hang together like i understand again metatextually outside of the movie i understand why they did it this way but there is something a little bit weird like wait we're talking about like magic and multiverses and it's a name a name right a name Mm -hmm. that somehow like just like a series of letters in the english alphabet is somehow transcending time and space to bring in people who have a relationship with that person. It, yeah, it, that's just a little weird. I don't I don't quite it doesn't really hang together. I mean, I'm like, I said, I'm fine with it. Not a big problem. You know, I, whatever. I mean, I don't think there I don't think you were going to find a more solid excuse to make this plot happen. And I like <laughs> this plot. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I'm not like and I'm not being I'm trying not to be nitpicky because it's like yeah. said, it's magic. It's not Everything has to make perfect sense. There's no way to make all this make perfect sense because it's a fucking fantasy movie. But like, I feel like maybe they could have workshopped that a little more, make it just a little bit more internally consistent where I'd have been like, I wouldn't even thought about it, you know, because there's a ton of stuff that doesn't they don't think about because the movie is not drawing your attention to it. And I feel like maybe that made a mistake here. But but yeah, I mean, um, that's probably my biggest like, huh? And then when I saw Venom, I was like, get the fuck out of my movie. And they got he promptly got out of my movie. And I was like, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of again, I've never seen them, but this this the Eddie Brock that was like in this movie of just like really just seemed like just the dumbest sack of bricks. I was like, I kind of <laughs> want to see this. I kind of want this guy in my movies. Just this like dumb, doesn't get it, has no idea what's going on, drunk, also has a killer alien inside of him. I'm like, I kind of this I kind of like this vibe. Like, he's, like, just asking this bartender to explain it to him over and over again. And the bartender's looking at him like, what the fuck is this guy talking about? Very strange. Um, Very strange. Yeah, I I, I, I like that. Um, and, and there were a lot of little cute things. Maybe three too many cute little wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Like, oh, that's, wow, the Avengers, that's great. Who are the Avengers? You know, like, aha, haha, get it, right? Like, eh. The, every instance of that that happened was cool. There were just too many of them. I yeah, couldn't I tell you they, which one to pull out, but... It was too many of the organic web jokes. One was, like, yeah. appropriate, where it's just like, yeah, that's fucking weird. <laughs> but, like, that they hit it, like, two more times, I'm like, mm, probably need to do that. Yeah, yeah. I kind of felt like, I don't know, there was a little bit of me that felt a little deflated when... And it, I think it would have been, like, mechanically, like, too repetitive, uh after losing Aunt May and then to then have the Toby Spider-Man also 
die. Yeah. But it kind of felt like it ruined the moment for me where it's just like he is preventing he is sacrificing himself for his main villain. Right. In a way, in a way to sort of drive home this point that they're trying to get Peter to step away from. And yeah. for him to be like, Al, that hurt. I was like, OK. Yeah, and I get it because Spider-Man's strong and doesn't just die from getting stabbed, but like still. And I really felt like there was a lot more that could have been done with that scene because mm-hmm. the the impression the movie gives is that Toby's doing that to save Peter from himself. Right. But I mean, we also know that, um, you know, that Peter Parker, Toby's Peter Parker, feels a lot of guilt for the death of Norman Osborn. Yeah. And this is a this is actually in some way a chance for him to undo that. And this is his chance, his second chance to save Norman Osborn. Um, and that could have carried a lot more weight in that scene. Um, but they chose not to really like confront that at all. And I that was a layer that I think really could have um could have helped because they kind of gave Andrew Garfield that scene with the, oh, he he saved MJ, which I guess in his movie, he didn't save Gwen or something. Yeah, I'll send you the clip then. It's actually pretty brutal. Based but. in the based on the um, based on the, uh, the the reaction of the crowd. I was like, oh, OK, I see. Yeah. Basically yeah. explaining it. Yeah, because you're aware, like, obviously, in the original comic, she falls off the bridge. He tries to Green Gobbler, ironically, throws her off the bridge. Yeah. He tries to save her. He accidentally snaps her neck. Because he tries to Weber. Yeah. In this one, he just doesn't do it in time and he gets her, but then she hits the, uh, it's actually unclear if she snaps her neck or hits her head on the floor really hard. But, um, but yeah, I, that's really landed for me. I, I agree with you. That's actually a good layer. I hadn't really considered for the Norman Osborn. For me, it was just like, it just felt like a little bit of like a kind of deflated the quote unquote sacrifice. But once again, I think it would have been like two dramatic deaths within a half an hour would probably have been like too much. Um, yeah, that's a good point about like the guilt that he would have faced. It would have been a character moment for each of them as opposed to just right. one, as opposed to like the scene that was the very, like kind of landed for me. And part of it's just because Melina is a really good actor. It was just like when he sees Toby spider on the, on the, on the, on the, on the statue of Liberty and like, it's like, Oh, oh my God, you're like all grown up. Like I see, you know, like yeah. you remember back to the movie, like he really liked and cared about Peter yeah. Parker until he went insane. And like, he's showing that now it's like, that was a really nice moment. Like, they definitely have a couple of really good heartfelt moments. And I will say that to just briefly backtrack the Aunt May's death scene, like the whole like sequence of it, like mechanically really worked for me. It's like it's ah, death scenes are really hard, I think, because it's so easy to just cross that line and to like overwrought melodramatic, like just like really rough stuff. And like it probably did a little bit, but superhero movie. So it's fine. But just like the kind of fake out was like because you're you're seeing the green goblins move, right? Which is like send the glider and stab him. Yeah. And she just gets like bonked by, and you're like, Oh, she's just hurt really bad. Okay. And it's like, Oh no. And then like Tom Holland's acting in reaction and her acting in reaction, like happy showing. I just like the whole sequence, like kind of worked for me in a way that like maybe, you know, plot wise, there was, it didn't do enough to earn like the whole sequence, but like the actual mechanics of the sequence I really liked. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, I, and I also think, yeah, like I, I, I think you're right. Like, I think the scene is really well done. I think that, well, like I said, like I have I have issues with where it comes in the movie. And uh, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it, it's very well put together. And, and like there's something there, there's something really like heartbreaking about both of them trying to like just lying to each other about the state of things. Yeah, just like both of them know, but neither one wants to admit it to the other one. Right. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, it just felt a little more like interesting and real than like a you know oh don't go I must you know just like it's just the the kind of classic die my arm scene yeah um which was nice um which I also thought they did a good job with that in like uh Endgame like Tony's death scene was like he's just like basically catatonic and that's like no epic dying speech through whatever like yeah there's just better ways to do it so uh that's one thing I was gonna ask I had something on the tip of my tongue and I don't remember now oh well lost it <laughs> <laughs> yeah so I mean like overall like I, I said I really liked this movie I thought it had a lot of heart which I wasn't expecting mm-hmm. and even if it didn't nail every beat of those like every beat of the heart it really tried to at least which I think this movie could have just totally cashed it in or phoned it in and been like cameos cameos the movie's over see ya like and made just as much money and i truly think that is something that i mean maybe like and i'm sure there's a lot of people disagree but like i do think in general a lot of mcu content tries to do something more you know i'm not saying it's high art whatever that means yeah but like when you when you kind of go back and you when you look to like its peers of other blockbusters like it's just so far ahead like when you watch when you watch like a fucking Venom movie or you watch a, you know, Justice League or you watch a whatever. It's just like, oh, my God, they're not even in the fucking same universe. Right. Or Transformers movie or whatever. Right. And like, you know, there's probably some of the other more like summer blockbusters that are more focused on like the capital A action movies like your your uh, Fast and the Furious, your Mission Impossible, which, you know, are probably good in just different ways. But I just feel like they at least try to get some heart in there. And even if only half or three quarters hits, at least it's something. Yeah. So. Uh, yes, I, 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 I will agree. I think that like, yeah, this raises the bar in a lot of ways for superhero movies in a, in, in a good way. I think, um, you know, trying to have a little bit more pathos, a little bit more, um, uh, a little bit more heart. Um, and, um and also like taking some weird risks storytelling wise and character wise you know like mm-hmm. i say like bringing in these characters from these other movies and not bothering to give them a whole bunch of introduction and just assuming we know who they are and writing them the way they are and they're out of place but it all works like that that was risky and i'm and i'm and it worked and i want to see more risks like that um I, I think at the end of the day, for me, if I had to sum up my complaints with this movie, it, it, it's that this movie tries to do too much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there's just a few too many elements in here that it means everything ends up spread a little too thin. Um, or it, it, it tries to do a lot at the expense of what I think would be Peter Parker Prime's uh, character arc. Yeah. And I don't know what you take out, honestly, to make more room for that. I don't know how you do it, but I think that that is probably this this thing's flaw. Is it still one of the best MCU movies? Probably. Um, is it the best? Mm, Spider-Verse is still the best Spider-Man movie. Fight me. Um, You're in a lot of a lot of lists I've seen listicles online. Most people uh, are in your camp. So I don't think this that. is the best. I don't know if I could say this is the best Tom Holland Spider-Man. The first one was really good. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, I, 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 yeah, there you go. Let's talk a little more about where the movie ends, right? So mm-hmm. we kind of got a back to basic Spider-Man. He kind of has a very classic suit, which is, you know, what did you say, you know, Greg? Uh, characterization through costuming. 
or whatever. Yes. yes. Um, you know, it's, it's emblematic of like a back to basics. Now, here's my problem with that. I think it's like really interesting. So people were like, wow. So in some ways, like this whole trilogy was kind of an origin story that brings the Peter Parker we kind of know and love. And I'm like, that's kind of interesting, like idea, uh, interesting choice. Here's my problem, though. Even though I agree with you that I don't love how sort of like heavily influenced by like Tony Stark and Stark Tech and then, you know, Fury. And then like, I mean, I, I do kind of like the idea that like Peter's kind of been a follower of the past three movies and mm-hmm. his his experiences in the rest of the MCU. And now he's going to maybe be like more of his own person, which like I kind of like that idea. But I'm also kind of like, here's the problem, though. It's totally reasonable in my head that like. A lot of the sort of like New York based street level heroes, quote unquote, are like just doing their own thing most of the time. And and maybe not even not even reacting to some of the bigger like craziness that goes down in New York City all the time. Because like example, let's say you're Matt, you're this Matt Murdock and you're slumming around Hell's Kitchen like you do. And then you see on the news like there's this crazy shit going down the Statue of Liberty. And you're like, well, fuck, I got to like get a cab or like, you know, run. Like, what, how am I going to get them? By the time you get there, it's over, right? Like, that makes sense to me. Similarly, like someone like Doctor Strange, it's like, well, he's probably just off doing like Doctor Strange bullshit somewhere or some of these bigger characters, Reed Richards or whoever, you know, it's just like they're just off being weirdos. Where I feel like Spider-Man's in that weird in-between stage where in-between space where he's like a triple A hero when it comes to like power and obviously also like you know popularity and image um but it also kind of trying to be like a street level you know friendly neighborhood spider-man kind of thing where it's like if there's shit going down in new york like spider-man can get there pretty fucking quickly and it's kind of like his main job is like you know crime fighting like by his own admission right he sits there with the police scanner and you know i mean he's like trying to live his life too i guess but this version of the character maybe is a little more focused on being a crime fighter right so it's kind of like it leaves him in like an awkward spot in the MCU because while I do feel that stuff was like a little bit too much for Spider-Man, it also kind of made sense in the context of the MCU for him to just get like scooped up and involved in all this bigger stuff because of course he would. Whereas especially now if you're going to in- reintroduce all these like, and I don't know to what level and we'll, we'll talk about that too, like the reintegration of some level of Netflix New York based characters like New York starts to look a little crowded. <laughs> Yeah. Um, And I'm not going to like I don't really care because once again, it's comic book bullshit. I don't need to I don't need to have every single thing explained of like, well, why isn't Hulk there? Blah, blah, blah. It's like it's fine. Whatever. But I feel like Spider-Man is so heavily tied to like New York and those kind of pieces. You're going to kind of begin to wonder like "Mm, Spider-Man probably be pretty useful because he's not like a globe trotting space trotting dimensional trotting like hero. He's kind of like, yeah, he's just like in college in Brooklyn and you could probably just give him a call. He'd probably be here in like 10 minutes. <laughs> like, as opposed to like, eh, I tried to call Dr. Strange, but he's in the fucking dark dimension doing whatever. I don't know. I, I just, it makes it a little, little harder to like suspend my d- disbelief for that specific, very specific piece, even though I kind of like the idea of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's who the hell knows how they manage the, it's been a problem in the comics too, right? Like sure. New York that you got Spider-Man, Fantastic Four, Avengers, X-Men, Daredevil, right? Like, they're all right there. What are they all doing? How does it all work? Um, I don't know where you go from here with Spider-Man. Um, there's a lot of weird questions that need to be answered. Like, how exactly does the secret identity work now? I mean, does he exist? How does he get a job? How does he go to school, right? Because as far as we can tell, Peter Parker does not exist as a legal <laughs> entity, right? Sure. 
Um, now maybe you could hand wave it away. And, you know, he, he found a very good lawyer who was able to get the right documents into the right places. Right. Mm -hmm. And you could maybe, but then, um, you know, and, and, and that's fine. And, um, uh, but, um, that's actually a good idea to have like a better reason to have Matt Murdock involved in the plot because out of all the, um, you know, if, if we're going to sort of more broadly say that Netflix shows are part of the MCU in some way, like Daredevil is kind of the only other character who sort of has the secret identity identity thing going on, because like that's sort of actually been is actually what really I want to bring this point up. And I forgot was like one of the things that kind of sold me on Peter's sacrifice at the end is that almost the root of like all the conflicts in the past three movies have been because people knew who he was mm -hmm. like in a lot of ways, like. Vulture finds out who he is. You know, Tony Stark knows who he is. He very quickly reveals his identity to Jake Gyllenhaal, Mysterio, to Dick Fury, to like everybody. He's like, he doesn't have the like he kind of is trying to be secretive, but he clearly doesn't get it. And now he's he really gets bad it. at it. Yeah. Like he gets it. Yes. Now. But that's kind of a nice like three movie arc. I think it's interesting. Yes, but I don't think it fully again. This is it's like it's one of those things where I think the movie wants to try to get there. Um, uh, you know, because like, okay, why does he want to basically hit the reset button on the secret identity? And the answer is because he's going to be hounded by extra dimensional weirdos if he doesn't. Right. Right. Which makes sense. But the reason should be not so much that he doesn't want to be hounded by extra dimensional weirdos, but because he sees the the very real damage that his identity as Spider-Man is doing to the people he cares about. Right. Aunt May dies. And I feel like they kind of hint at this a little bit in the like the final scene where he goes to visit Mary Jane. And, you know, we notice the Band-Aid over her eye to kind of connect the dots a little bit to like, oh, the physical harm that is done by, you know, being close to Spider-Man which is why he can't be close to anyone. Um, mm. I think the movie could have done a better job of selling that, um, that the only way for him to keep the people he loves safe is to not be around them. And that like, oh, he's going to get MJ back someday. He's going to get there. Like, no, he shouldn't want that. This whole thing should have been teaching him that him being Spider-Man puts everyone he loves in danger. Right. Um, and like I say, Movie didn't quite connect those dots. Um, and that's why he should have a secret identity um, to protect the people around him. That's always been the idea. Um, uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't I, like I say, I don't know where you go from here. I, I, there's all these power level questions of, you know, what do you do with Spider-Man in a world that also has Doctor Strange in it? I mean, I guess the argument is, you know, and, and maybe they set this up a little bit of like, yeah, maybe Doctor Strange his powers are a little too like big to deal with, you know, the kind of stuff that Spider-Man is going to deal with things that are more like, yeah, like maybe more organized crime, you know, that sort of thing. But like Dr. Strange can't be rewriting reality to get rid of, you know, a mob money laundering operation <laughs> in Queens. Right. Right. It is kind of an interesting question where you go, because these movies were so big and the MCU is kind of so big and you know, like I said, it kind of makes sense for Daredevil to be walking around just busting heads in hallways. But like Spider-Man fought Thanos. And yes, what's he going to and like also almost broke the entire multiverse. 
And now he's going to be like, what, just like the rhino is going to go try and rob a bank. Is that going to be your next movie? Like even like just like continuity canon stuff aside, like whatever. But just like from a entertainment stakes perspective, like how do you make a super com- and now he's lost one of the things that is oftentimes at the center of a spider movie is like, like you said, like them finding out his identity, them getting attacking the ones closest to him, these kind of things. Right. Like that's a big chunk of what the Murray films are about. Maybe not the Garfield one so much, but I don't, I mean, but I guess so because Gwen Stacy dies, blah, blah, blah. Like, so what do you do now? Cause he has got no one. He like, he's got no connections to anyone mm-hmm. now effectively, which is a good like blank slate. But then like, how do you make a compelling Spider-Man story now? That's like for a modern audience. That's not just like, Oh, you know, Mysterio is up to his own ways again. Like, I don't know. It's a good question. I don't know. I don't know. Like, there's been back and forth around, like, you know, Amy Pascal was like, oh, we've got another trilogy plan. But Tom Holland's like, "Mm, I might be done. He's I mean, honestly, uh, we got to do a time skip. Yeah, we got to We got to catch. We got to catch the Peter Parker actor up to Tom Holland's age um, because he was largely believable as an 18 year old. Um, Zendaya at, at most of the time, largely believable as an 18 year old Ned, not so much. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, a lot of these, like, it's just, I'm not buying it anymore. Yeah. Um, and you know, this, this Peter Parker is not just an 18 year old. He's an 18 year old with some hard fucking miles on him. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing a a Tom Holland Spider-Man who's a little older. Um, jaded isn't the right word. Maybe a little bit more cynical, uh, a little more weary, you know, like an mm-hmm. older Spider-Man. Um, and yeah, I feel like yeah. just getting him out of high school is a good start because yes. when you're in college, it's a lot more like, eh, you can look whatever. <laughs> like no one's going to question, does he really look 20? It's like, well, no one really questions. You know what I mean? Unless they're like too old, but. Well, and and honestly, I mean, I think that, you know, there could be a really, really interesting version of Spider-Man where uh, his secret identity is like a borderline homeless guy. Yeah. Like, you know, not, oh, he's in college and he's trying to make that work. And like his his everyday struggles are the struggles of a college student. Right. But a relatively privileged college student. Um, you know, somebody who, yeah, I mean, Spider-Man's always been a little bit working class, right? Like we always kind of felt like Peter Parker was paying his own way through school and, you know, he had, you know, had to work, you know, demeaning jobs, et cetera, et cetera. But like, you know, a Peter Parker who's like living in a shitty apartment because he literally doesn't have an identity. Like he doesn't have a social (laughs) security card. And also he is, you know, probably exhibiting some signs of like what you what people might interpret as like severe social anxiety because he doesn't want to get close to anyone because he knows what danger it is. You know, like that's a, that could be kind of interesting. So I'm going to say that Peter Parker is an illegal alien suffering from extreme uh, social anxiety. Well, I'm not thinking God, the conservatives are going to have a date. No, I'm just kidding. But to everyone <laughs> around him, right? He'd be this sure. weirdo who's like, I don't really like, no, you know, like maybe he meets a girl at work and, and she's like, oh, we can go back to your place. He's like, I don't really want to go to my, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and, and he's this, he's this kind of weirdo. He's kind of reclusive. Um, you know, I, I, I think that could be kind of interesting. Yeah. I mean, that his entire identity is being Spider-Man because right. Spider-Man still exists and Spider-Man was still an Avenger and Spider-Man still helped save the world. Right. You know, 
uh, but they just don't know. You know, that's what people are, I guess, just like, oh, like Doctor Strange is going to remember fighting Thanos, fighting, you know, Thanos with Spider-Man. He just doesn't know who he is. Is that it's like the kind of assumption, I guess. Yeah, it is weird. Like and 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 that, and that's another thing. Like, I want to know how it like, how does this? And I, I'm curious. I'm not saying because the movie didn't explain this, the movie's bad. I'm just saying, like, I'm curious about like, so if you are, uh, let's say, OK, well, actually, let, who, who actually knew Spider-Man in any kind of real way? Tony Stark. Tony Stark dead. dead. His, uh, you know, his aunt and friends who don't know or slash dead. Doctor Strange. Who may or may not be immune he, to the spell. He said we, which is like one of the kind of another kind of nice little like writing thing where he's like all the people who know and love you are no longer like something are going to remember like we blah, 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 like implying that he is one of those people who knows and loves people, which is kind of a nice little thing. So, yeah, I, I assume it includes him as well. Yeah, that's a little unclear. But but so Dr. Strange theoretically is subject to the mind wipe. Um who else was so Star Lord was would have some memory theoretically, right? Because they know fought. If he ever actually revealed his face when they were on Titan. I had to go back and watch. I don't know if they ever said his name or anything. So it, it might just be those people. I uh, mean, he had his mask off when he got. Uh, oh, but he might not know who he is, though. Like right, that. right. It's like, like that classic Justice League scene where Lex is like, "I'm finally going to find out who the Flash is," and pulls his mask. And he's like. I have no idea who this is. <laughs> Who's this idiot? It's also like us watching. Uh, we, we just finished Squid Games uh, and there's like one or two unmasking scenes. And you're just like, am I supposed to know who like, is this somebody? <laughs> <important>? <laughs> like, uh, um, so, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess it's like less impact than you think it might be initially. Right. Right. Because I mean, you guess Nick Fury and like all yeah. the shield folks he worked with in movie two. Oh, that's not the real Nick Fury. Those are the scrolls. But we can presume that Nick Fury, you know, probably Nick Fury, super spy would know. Yeah. Um, I think Captain Marvel called him Peter Parker. You're right. In Infinity War. Yeah. So I, I kind of just assumed the Avengers all knew who he was just like out of just like right. communicating via whatever they communicate with. And just like they're just a team of people who talk um, right. in these movies. So I kind of would assume. But like it wouldn't be hard to just like, I don't know. I just don't know who that is. You just replace in reality, just replace every time someone says Peter Parker with Spider Man, and that's basically right. the hand wave, right? And, and then it's like, oh, you know, I guess, I guess, yeah, we never really did learn who that kid in the spider suit was, huh? Yeah, t- yeah, Tony kept that one pretty close to the chest, didn't he? Right. Blah, blah blah. Like, yeah, I mean, I think it'll work. Um, um, okay, yeah, like I say, I'm curious about it, but like, and and you know, but I think that things are vague enough that the state of play in whatever Spider Man Four is, you can do basically whatever you want, right? Yeah, I mean, the, you uh, could, like you said, the, the biggest things that are hardest to swallow are just like the more real world things. Just like, wait, how did you have money? Like, yeah, <laughs> how'd you get your stuff back from Aunt May's apartment? Like, what? <laughs> yeah, but yeah, it's whatever. Um, that stuff's not gonna. As long as they don't like, once again, as long as they treat those questions just like, just don't address them. Just like, yeah, let's just or or directly address them. Well, those are the two options. Don't try and hand wave it too much because then it's gonna be like, wait, hold on a second. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think there is there one thing I think they should have done. um, And a lot of movies make this mistake when you you have a reset button and you don't include the mechanics of the movie that the reset button is limited. Right. Like in Deadpool 2, they did a really good job by by being like, oh, the time travel thing can only be used a certain number of times and it can only go back so far. Right. 
Mm-hmm. Because once you introduce time travel, anything is possible. And I do think that they should have included something, and it would have been so easy to do, of like, uh, oh, for, to- for, 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 for Doctor Strange to do this spell, this like worldwide memory wipe, he needs, he needs like a special crystal, and there's only one of them, and when he does the spell, the crystal's gone, you know? Yeah. Because now it's like, okay, well, you know... Can't Doctor Strange, like any future problem Doctor Strange has that can be solved with a memory wipe. Well, here we go. Right. Right. Because and they even make no... a joke about it. where like, you memorize people at a party. Right. 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 And and, you know, they, they kind of said like, oh, you know, uh, I, I kind of got the impression like the scale of the spell increases the difficulty, you know, like if you're trying, yeah, mm-hmm. trying to make 20 people forget one party easy, trying to make the entire world forget one fact harder you know um i get that but like yeah how why not just do this all the time now right like why not make the world forget about racism (laughs) you know if if this is the sort of thing you can do yeah that that's something i feel like should have had should have been a macguffin you know yeah there's a couple like couple little just plot mechanics you could build in and same kind of thing with like the pin particles from Endgame, it's like, well, they didn't have anything special outside of these to do the time travel stuff. And I mean, they learned that if they fuck with it, it's going to, you know, you know, fuck around and find out for lack of a better term. But yeah, yeah, like, it's it's a little yeah. bit or like or like you could have even you don't even need to make it a MacGuffin. You could just be like when Dr. Strange is doing the final spell, he could say something like, oh, and by the way, Peter, because we're doing this on such a big scale by doing this, I'm also going to forget this spell. Oh, That'd be good. So this is a one-time thing. We also might find out in maybe the perhaps the next MCU movie that like doing that spell that why was probably not a good idea, and there's ramifications for doing oh, yeah. the shit that Doctor Strange has been doing, and I think slash that's, Wanda's been doing. Well, and so. that's what they that's what they imply in the yeah, in the trailer. Totally was that this this thing un- unbalanced the multiverse to some to some extent, and we get Shumagorath and evil Doctor Strange. Yeah, that's definitely Shumagorath in the tra- in the in the trailer. It's a it's a it's a it's a green octopus with a pink eye in the middle of its chest. That is Shubagorath. Yeah, I wish it wasn't so goofy looking, but there's no that... way to not make that guy goofy looking. Well, I know, but you can make him look kind of scary. I feel like he looks a lot like Starro from like, which is he, correct. <laughs> yeah, purposely kind of weird, but I don't know how you do it, though. I keep forgetting that Sam Raimi is directing this movie. <laughs> I do, too, but I I'm I'm into it. I this. This movie looks pretty decent. There's one shot in the trailer where his goatee looked really bad, but I know um, I was like, what is that? But, it, looked, yeah. it looked like he is using a lot of just for men, which they <laughs> joked about in this movie. True. But uh, anyway. Yeah, I, I kind of feel like I mean, I think I, I think they need to like have a very clear difference between good Doctor Strange and bad Doctor Strange. Right. So I think they might have overdone it on how neat and tidy good Doctor Strange's beard is. Yeah. In comparison to bad Doctor Strange, who's going to be a little bit more scraggly. Yeah. Um, I'd recommend watching. Yeah. Uh, what if episode four? I mean, the whole show is like pretty decent. Yeah, I just I just um, I, it, I I just bounced off of it. I've been meaning to yeah. get back to it. But uh, well, now The Witcher season two is out. So, you know, sure, sure. be watching that. Um, so I, I had a question just I want to just to. So obviously, I think we're both excited for Multiverse of Madness. It looks cool. Yeah, um, it looks like gonna be a lot of weirdness and fun and i think these two movies together are gonna make for like a new kind of chapter the mcu after kind of like 
what will be probably considered a pretty muddled year because you had yeah. like you had the break, you know, because of Endgame and then because of coronavirus. And then you kind of had Shang-Chi, which was good. Fine. Black Widow, which wasn't Eternals, which is very divisive. But none and of those really. Exactly. Move impact. the move the move the, the, the universe forward. Right. I mean, Internals is a couple things for the more cosmic scale stuff, but like not a lot. And then you've got the shows, which once again, none of them had like a huge impact so far. Right. Ironically, probably Hawkeye reintroducing Kingpin is probably the biggest impact we'll have out of the shows. Um, finale is tomorrow, by the way, which I'm excited to see what goes down. Because um, who knows me? They're going to set up that it's, it's like a Spider-Man Kingpin thing, like with some Daredevil mixed in down the road. Who knows? I don't know. Oh. Um Tom Holland is too pure for that world. <laughs> That's probably true. Uh, but speaking of, so the Netflix, I mean, so what is this? What do you think they're going to do with this? Because I see like three options. One, you just like all the Netflix stuff is canon. We're going for it. Doesn't really need much shoehorning because they kind of do it. We're just doing their own thing and they just weren't involved in the other shit. I think you also make it easy by saying like, oh, and also all those characters got blipped, which kind of makes them kind of get a fresh start after this. That is one theory that I really like is that the reason Kingpin is like out and in charge is because he didn't get blipped, but Matt Burdock did. Hmm. So he's had five years to sort of like take over the criminal underground. So I think it's like a really, really great. And there's some implication in Hawkeye that like during the time when he was Ronan, he was semi working for Kingpin or like being basically hired by Kingpin to wipe out other or more or less tipped off. Unknowingly working for Kingpin. Correct. Yeah. Um, Because Hawkeye very much knows who he is and is very afraid of him. So that's kind of like a nice little in-universe solution to a problem. Um, but like, then you've got all these other shows that like, there's, I've seen a lot of rumors that like John Bernthal is being courted for more Punisher in MCU that maybe Jessica Jones, but like Luke Cage wasn't as well received and Iron Fist certainly wasn't, but they're all kind of connected. If you're going to try and say like they're properly canon, are they going to try and just kind of like hate, like just say just Daredevil stuff is somewhat canon and just ignore some of the interactions? Well, or are they just going to fucking hand wave it? Be like, mm, they're just kind of like somewhat new iterations with same actors that we're not really going to acknowledge their past. I mean, any one of them. I mean, none of the characters that we're talking about are big enough in the context of the universe that if it was like, oh, after the events of season two of Luke Cage, Luke Cage retired, you know, that's fair. You know, that's not a big deal. Right. It, it, these aren't linchpins of 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 their respective realities. Or, yeah, you know, hey, there was that guy, the Punisher, who, like, killed everybody, um, but that he disappeared. And, and, you know, because who knows? And, oh, maybe there's some reports of, like, there was some vigilante violence in Seattle that might have been him, you know? Like, any one of these characters you could completely write off. Uh, you know, they, they retire off screen or they show up and, you know, they, they do a little cameo and... Jessica Jones says, you know, I'm out of the superhero business, but I can tell you, you need to call my friend Luke, you know, little things like that. Or you could bring them back in and make them a major character if you wanted to. I I, I think that all the options are on the table. Um, I think that um, I love the super lawyers. I'm 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 I'm. I know nothing about She-Hulk other than it's happening, but that also they're going to like lean into the courtroom stuff. So I'm like very excited about that. I love the concept of I mean, I could watch a a superhero or a, a a a light courtroom drama that just takes place. And but like all the court cases are superhero, supervillain shit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
Like I could I could get into that where it's, you know, and and it's like it's almost like law and order. But like the case of the week is the state of New York versus Wolverine. Like I could, <laughs> that could be really fun. Um, yeah, I mean, they they said that um, there's a lot of rumors that uh, Charlie Cox is in the She-Hulk show, which obviously. Make I, a how could sense. you not? How could you not? Um, they've done a pretty I will say there's been like a ton of rumors, also a ton of rumors that didn't happen because apparently there's just a ton of sites. In the internet. They're just like. Some guy on Reddit said, so this right. is now a confirmed rumor, right? Um, but they've done a pretty good job of keeping this stuff secret. I mean, there was a bunch of stuff that was like that happened this week that I kind of knew was going to happen that kind of got leaked. But there was also those were also usually presented with a ton of other things that didn't happen. Yeah. So it's kind of like, mm, it's a mixed bag. And I mean, <laughs> it was really funny seeing Andrew Garfield's reaction to like his entire like past two years was just like, <gasps> dude are you in no way home? He's like, I'm not stop like legitimately getting angry. Like stop asking me, like I doing other things in my career. And they're like, okay, but, but seriously, are you? And he's like, no, like props to him. Cause he did a pretty good job lying. And same thing for like, you know, Charlie Cox and whatever else. Like I'm curious. And even the Kingpin stuff that was only kind of only really recently where it's just like, I think Kingpin's in Hawkeye. And people were like, yeah, I think he is. And I'm curious. They're doing a, a pretty good job of keeping that stuff on the down low. It makes me yeah a little They've- bit, like excited because I don't know what's going to happen. And a lot They've of gotten stuff, really good at it. And I also think that they I mean, it's the 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 secrecy is is pretty legendary. And the the steps that the production companies and that they go through to ensure that secrecy. Um, uh, like there's even like occasionally it'll pop up like a meme where you just see like, oh, it's one of these like group press conferences. And like somebody asks a spoilery question of one of the audience or one of the actors and they like nervously glance at Kevin Feige like what do I say <laughs> um but you know you you hear about things like you know um you know all of every script page is like extensively watermarked so if anything leaks they know exactly who it was and um you know the contracts i would imagine are very uh strict about what you can talk about and what you can't and um yeah, it's probably like if you say this, you don't get paid. <laughs> right. Yeah. Or like you will not. This is. Yeah, I, I would imagine it's 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 pretty, pretty like, tight. We will cut you from this whole thing. And we have three backup plans on how to use a different character here and blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. And I and I think they um they also I think there's a little bit of, you know, almost like CIA style. Um, What do they call it? Uh, there's a word for this in spycraft, but where you, you, you intentionally release, uh, real information along with like, like one real fact and three lies. Mm -hmm. Like, um, like you intentionally do that one way because then you can kind of track the lies, uh, to figure out who's leaking. Um, but also then you just, it becomes very difficult for other people to like know who to trust because like, well, they were right about this, but they were wrong about that. Who do I, you know, um, I wouldn't be surprised if they're getting involved in some of that, um, which, which reminds me of it. So there's this idea of, um, it's a similar idea with the, the way these secrets are managed. I think they are, uh, it's, there's this idea in cartography. So map making called trap streets. Have you heard of this? No. So um, it's still done, but it's this it's this um, like if you make maps, right, like maps of cities, um, plagiarism is a big problem in that industry. Right. Mm. Because a map like if I make a map of New York, it's it's correct. And if your map, you have the same map of New York, like how do I know you didn't just copy me? 
So what is done are these things called trap streets, which where a map maker will put a fake street onto their map, a street that does not exist in reality, um, you know, just like a little alleyway or something somewhere. They know it's there so that if somebody else comes out with a map and it has that same trap street, now I know I've been plagiarized, right? Because you have mapped a street that does not exist in reality. That's mm. a street that I made up. So I know you copied it from me. So that is um, it's a way of, you know, by by deliberately building misinformation into the real thing, you are, you know, you, it's one way to track down bad actors. But also in the case of something like this, it's the same thing where like, you know, every Rocky movie, they shoot they shoot an ending where Rocky wins and they shoot an ending where Rocky loses so that most of the people on the cast and crew don't know how it actually ends. So they right. can't accidentally give it away. Uh-huh. There's a lot of that going on, too, in, in Marvel movies, because it's even from the trailers, <laughs> there's stuff that's just like this was not. I mean, there's always yeah. stuff that's cut. Right. But I think there's significant stuff filmed that's not. Yeah. I mean, I just saw that similar thing, not to taint this discussion of Marvel with discussion of Star Wars, but I saw that there was a headline that one or a couple of like the bigger actors in the Book of Boba Fett show did not know what show they were on <laughs> when they were filming their scenes. Oh, yeah. You hear about that a lot, like where it's just. This like I get I get one page. I get this, the pages I am shooting that day. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I don't know anything else about. I only know the scenes I was in. Uh, yeah. And the logistics of it all is fascinating. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm very curious to know. And I'm sure that there's also like a lot of like how Marvel keeps its secrets. Like there's probably like they look at that as kind of like trade secrets. So they yeah. don't want to talk about it. It's fair because they don't want their competition to be able to keep their secrets that well. It's, it's all very all the skullduggery is is fascinating to me. Yeah. Um, well, or like yeah, they I mean, even like, did that when they uh, in the lead up to this, where they were like intentionally releasing um, false titles for this. Yes. Do you remember yep. that? Yeah. And they made a little bit of a joke about it because like Tom Holland was a little notorious for accidentally leaking things. Uh huh. Uh, they did some cute little, little jokes anyway. Yeah. And just like, they do a really good job also of just like not putting a ton of shit in the trailers, Yeah, you know, not just like smart things and like editing the trailers. They don't have stuff in it. Like all these things that some of it, something can be a little obvious. Like this one got a little bit was obvious that like, oh, this scene, there should be three Spider-Man. There's only one. It's very obvious. That's what's happening. Yeah. You kind of spoiled it because of that. Where before like in Infinity War, like they didn't have like four look different and whatever it's like oh he lost an eye like he didn't have that in that scene like with so, with so much cgi it's pretty easy to be like eh, yeah. i just don't have these parts in <laughs> well I, I i'll say you know even though i've been you know i mean i wasn't like actively seeking out spoilers for this but i wasn't avoiding them either um so i i was pretty sure i was like yeah i'm pretty sure toby and andrew are in this movie and blah 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 um but when i was in the theater the reactions i the reactions I heard when the new spider, the old Spider-Man showed up, told me a lot of people had no fucking idea this was going to happen. Yeah. And also on that, a little bit of a what fucking world do I live in? Um, Man, Andrew Garfield got a much bigger reaction than Tobey Maguire in my theater. Oh, really? Yeah. And it reminds me that like, oh, yeah, for a lot of people, those are the good ones. <laughs> just or like just for like a lot the of people ones they grew the prequels the, yeah. the, right like those are the good star wars movies and i'm like i i am an ancient mummy living in a tomb deep underground <laughs> it also could have been because he was first and 
you know, you're kind of like, oh, well, if he's in it, then the people would be a little less. There were some there were some other moments of crowd reaction where it was very clear that I was in a I was definitely in a pro Andrew Garfield theater. Interesting. It was very clear that it wasn't just, a you know, oh, he came in first. Um, yeah. I was thinking a lot about like, I really hate, I mean, not hate because it's like, I get it, but it's a little bit over used as like the, oh, you know, superheroes and, you know, even just like IP stuff in general is like our versions of like mythology, mm-hmm. right? Like a little bit like, all right. Yeah, it's a little, little big. But I do kind of feel like this movie, the way that, I mean, and granted, I was at an opening night thing, so I think everyone was just like super fans, but this movie is obviously crushing it both review wise, both, you know, everything for every metric it's crushing it. Yeah. And even above and beyond a normal Marvel movie. And I'm just like, I couldn't help but think that like less so of just like the imp- the cultural importance. And like we talked about last, I'm kind of trying to elevate the thing you like so that it's like justified less so around that for like the mythology comparison and more about more just like the pure, just like when you used to go see a Greek play in Athens in I don't know, 550 BCE, there'd be a lot of things that just would be assumed that audience would know. It's like, yes. Oh yeah. That guy is Zeus and he likes to fuck things <laughs> like that's his jam. And also he has these other characteristics where like, I don't know, some of these even like bad movies clearly can have such a cultural impact on at least this segment of our culture that like people just know like, Oh yeah, that's the lizard. That's his jam or whatever. Like that's, Doc Ock, he does this kind of thing. Even if they don't know oh, the yeah. specifics, remember the exact specifics. Like that was kind of an interesting, just like, oh, yeah. Like you, because like realistically, like, sure, it's one thing to be like an MCU super fan. But there's also, you know, five other Spider-Man movies. This movie like kind of touches on and references. Not that you need to have seen all of them or know all of them yeah. well to know everything. That's kind of point, not. right? Right. And and I think that's one of the things, the, the interesting things that worked was like, I haven't seen the Andrew Garfield Spider-Man movies, but like. I didn't need to. I got it. Like, I know he's I know he was Spider-Man in some of his movies. I know the broad outlines. It's fine. The movie told me what I needed to know, um, you know, and I'm, I'm sure that the like the, the moment of him saving MJ would have had more emotional impact if I'd seen the movie. But I feel like the movie gave me enough build up to be like, oh, that means something to him. Fine. I get it. Cool. Um, yeah. Um, and I like that this movie just didn't need to beat you over the head with everything. And I hope that future movies assume that as well. Like, it's just, like, don't, we, I, I get it. He's a different Spider-Man from a different time. Fine. Let's go. Although I got to say, um, I bet the makers of the, the Flashpoint movie <laughs> are, 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 are really feeling like they just got their milkshake drank. Uh, yeah, I'm curious is, if they're, if they're like excited that like this did well and people are into this idea or if they're like fuck we just got done up before we even we got this dunked movie on <laughs> again again they dunked on us um because i saw something that was like someone was asking ben affleck if george clooney is in the flashpoint movie and he was just like i don't fucking know i don't know anything like i just show up and do my lines but i'm just like if people are expecting that level of I don't george know. clooney would not I, I i cannot imagine that george clooney is is would say yes to that yeah and who would really even want that like he does not he does not need the money he is not proud of the work he did in batman he is not and i everything i know about him it's not like he's like eager to go to like revisit it and get it right right uh i i i I cannot imagine that he is going to be in that in that one give us give us michael keaton you know what i say us give the suckers who are going to watch that movie (laughs) michael keaton (laughs) 
That's fair. Yeah, I fucking mean, rubes. <laughs> yes, totally. Uh, but I, I guess I, I mean to kind of like wrap up here. Unless you had anything else, I, 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 I do not. Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited, kind of for the the future of the MCU. Like, I was kind of like, are we starting to just like after last year? I was kind of like, I didn't hate anything, but I was like, are we just kind of getting to the point where it's going to be just a little bit trite or redundant or jump the shark different places or whatever? But I don't know. This movie and and Doctor Strange coming out and like what they're you know bringing in the Netflix stuff to whatever degree that is, like it just leaves a lot of room for opportunity in my brain and uh i'm excited i don't really know what's coming next for a lot of this stuff but the next few movies are the ones i'm most excited for obviously spider-man doctor strange thor four looks bananas um like those three i'm like just kind of like this i feel like is going to set set a stage for a new chapter of the mcu in a way that uh you know the past couple have kind of just been more independent little things yeah and i feel like benedict Cumberbatch is finally he's finding he's figuring out how to be Doctor Strange. I know that's a that's a weird thing. And is like, he? I, I, I'm unsure on that. I think I, he's doing a good job of playing him. I'm just not sure the writing for Doctor Strange has me like convinced. It's not quite there yet, but I think he is. He has found the right mix of um, like hyper confident, uh, you know, Tony Stark slash Sherlock Holmes thing with some degree of humanity and um uh heart but also a little bit of overconfidence you know mm-hmm. like the, like like early on when he's like kind of like yeah let's fuck around with people's memories let's see where <laughs> that goes you know um he he's finding the right blend of that um and it's i i, I imagine it's an incredibly challenging character to play because you're this like almost demigod master of reality but you're also expected to like care about like this high school kid with spider powers and like what he's up to this weekend you know that's a tricky needle to thread emotionally i think and i think benedict cumberbatch has found it Mm -hmm. um again a lot of it hinges on the writing because also i feel like in the you know in the infinity war movies it was a little bit too much like well he's he has to play this like very elevated role what the plot requires of him right not mm. a lot of moments of humanity for him in those movies um but i think he's found it i'm, I'm curious to see where i, I like i want to see more of that character i want to see his movie um because i like the idea of dr strange but so far we haven't really nailed it on screen yet and i think we're we're almost there yeah i agree with you like i think it's a really hard character to like write and show because like yeah the power level is just crazy it's also magic so you also have that just like eh, do whatever the fuck you want kind of mentality but and i i do like and like plot wise the the decision to you know they show this piece like the he's no longer sorcerer supreme like i like that better because even though that's part of like his character right like t- traditionally i like that he's like well i'm just like a really good guy at magic and i don't have all the responsibility of like it allows him a little more freedom to do like you said just be like no eh, let's give this a try like as opposed to like well i need to think about the consequences for the entire multiverse and blah 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 and like it can make for a very uh it's like too weighty of a character um yes and he definitely has like a playfulness that's there which i like i still sometimes it still comes across a little bit like well like do you care? Do you not care? Like, I don't know. Yeah, it's 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 difficult. But I will say, um, just to go back to like the action scenes of like the fight between Doctor Strange and Spider-Man was so fucking good. It was great. 
like every just, part of it like and the fact that like at no point do we did, did they did they just fall back on Doctor Strange doing magical karate like it was all like portal shit I loved it it was uh, it was like so good and then the fact that like Spider-Man figured out the geometry of it and that's how he won I was like that's fucking brilliant mm-hmm. like and that 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 very careful like how do how do we find a way to make Doctor Strange, like his powers, like have some kind of vulnerability, right? Because Spider-Man figured out like, oh, this is this is a geometry puzzle. It looks like magic, but this is just geometry and I can figure that out. And like the way that they were able to like keep Doctor Strange's powers like really cool and weird, but also ground them in some degree of like reality and physics. Amazing. It also just looked amazing. Just really, really really great spectacle but just there's so many like oh man it's just clearly whoever wrote that action sequence just played a shit ton of portal 10 years ago <laughs> and was like i've got it i know what i'm doing yeah I mean, so I, many ideas i loved it i i do like the over-reliance on the portals of something i'm just like i don't love but it, it always makes for like a good like the action scenes of like you know him opening a portal when peter's shooting a web to like hit peter get like just very yes. clever things on screen, which I really liked. And and yeah, I think yeah. they relied on it a little. I mean, you could say they relied on it too much, but I think that within the just the economy of the storytelling of like, look, we can't spend too much time outlining all of Doctor Strange's powers here. Yeah. Um. So we're basically going to limit it to we're going to give him two tricks and we're going to exhaust those. Right. Like we're going to do the portals and we're going to show you a bunch of cool little portal gags. And then we're going to do the mirror universe thing where, you know, um, we explain how that works to, to some degree. And that's going to be the end of it. Um, and that makes sense. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But also it, 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 it's helpful because a lot of that that portal action sequence was teaching you, the viewer, uh, the portal mechanics that were going to come into play later in the movie. Yep. Um, you know, it was, it was, you know, and that, that's also a brilliant little bit of visual storytelling where they just like, Hey, we're going to, you know, this is a really cool action sequence, but we're also right now showing you how the portals work. So we don't have to explain it in the final set piece. Right. Um, yeah. And then the little tricks were like, Ned makes a portal like, and you know, like at the bottom of the bay and it just a bunch of water comes out at the different angle. Like, yeah, nice. Cool. Mm -hmm. Um, Oh, it's good. Whenever I see the portals, I think of, uh, so this is not really a spoiler, but kind of like a mechanical spoiler for Wheel of Time. Eventually they get the ability to just create portals and walk places, you know, mm-hmm. in a very similar fashion. But they, they always describe them kind of opening like a, I always kind of envision them opening like a mini mark doors, you know, like automatic doors. They just like mm-hmm. two lines and they cut open. The problem is that if anything is standing in that, it gets like cut in half, mm-hmm. just like that kind of mechanic and there's later on in the series there are some uh pretty brutal channelers who decide hey that's actually better as a weapon yeah and they weaponize it and they take out like an entire army of like trollocs by opening the portals sideways and just opening them over and over again and just moving it across the field and it's just like oh god why yep makes total sense So I always think about that. I'm like, oh, yeah. what happens if someone stands in the middle of that when they get uh, when they open a portal? But yeah, you just or you just like open a portal, open one end under the ocean <laughs> and the other end above a city. Right. <laughs> Done. Yeah. Um, now you're thinking stuff, with portals. Now you're thinking with portals. Yeah. There's a game out right now. What's it called? Fucking 
Portal? The shooter? No, not Portal. Portal. There's like the one where it's like Halo, but with portals. Prey? No, no, no. It's like Prey. Recent. It's like oh. popular right now. Uh, Something Portal. I don't know. Fortnite. Not Fortnite. <laughs> Fortnite. Definitely not Fortnite. Anyway, Fortnite. it looks cool. It's basically like if you're playing an arena shooter, but you had the portal gun and you can do a lot of fun things with that. So. Ah. Portals are fun, it uh, turns out. So, well, yeah, well, uh, we did the Spider-Man. We watched the Spider-Man and then uh, tomorrow I'm going to um, uh, figure out how I'm going to um, uh, get something, just get really just get something in my eye uh, watching The Matrix. The new Matrix movie tomorrow. Oh, I just read. A, I read a review. They was like, it's really good. <laughs> I don't care. I look. I, I mean, when I heard it was happening, I was like, oh, fucking don't like <laughs> that. Don't. How did you not learn that Matrix sequels are bad and unnecessary? Mm-hmm. But then I started seeing trailers for this and I was like, oh, you guys made a movie about my personal feelings about the Matrix. <laughs> You made a movie for me about the way I feel about the original Matrix movie. Uh, mm, you fuckers. Yeah. Um, and when I watch that, I'm like, OK, this is just going to I'm just going to be weeping openly for two and a half hours when this comes out, <laughs> um, because that movie came out when I was 16. Yeah, it's a crucial time for your development. Uh uh, and uh, it turns out a big part of my personality is inextricable from that movie <laughs> um, and watching old ass. Ke- well, when I say old ass Keanu Reeves and old ass Carrie Ann Moss, I mean that very relatively because I think they both got younger. Somehow. But, like watching them like get together and make love eyes at each other. I'm like, oh, fuck, you got me. You did it. <laughs> you found you, mm, I can't hide from this. So, yeah, they're yeah, both I'm gonna- two people who like. Got more attractive as they aged, for sure. Yes. Yeah, uh, which is awesome. Um, um, yeah, I mean, we watched the first one like Shay had never seen it and she was like kind of interested. It was a little more capital A action movie than I think he was expecting hmm. um, to just things don't take a lot to penetrate her cultural blinders. Uh, when you talk about absorbing three things like through osmosis culturally, she does not do that. She hmm. is whatever kind of amoeba or, you know, single cell organism don't absorb things through their balls that's shay hmm. you have to like inject it via a you know adamantium needle um so we watched the first one and and i was like okay i mean because i i mean man i was like was it 99 99 yeah yeah so i was 10 um and it was fucking cool right uh but like watching it for the first time probably i don't know 15 10 15 years i was like this movie's good like and I know, like, shade to be thrown, like, very revolutionary at the time and blah, yeah. blah, blah. But I was just like, okay, like, maybe I, and I'm like, I kind of want to watch the second two because I know they're bad. But, like, are they bad in a way that, like, is different than I remember? Or how do I feel when, like, feeling a little underwhelmed by watching the first one again? Do I feel differently about the sequels? I don't know. I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the first one. I'm not trying to take away your. No, uh, no, no. Look, I, I again, I mean, I, 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 I'm will gladly admit that some large degree of my affection for the matrix is due to nostalgia and, or just that thing of like, you know, a lot of there's that you never forget your first time. And like, (laughs) um, like there's a lot of people like the first time they see, like the first time they see, and I'm not saying the matrix is like an indie movie, but like when people see their first indie movie, 
and it blows their mind because they didn't think like movies could be that way. And like, that's the only movie they can talk about for the next 20 years. Um, and it's not that really necessarily a statement on the movie. It's just that's the first time you saw that, you know, the first time you realized that was possible. So, you know, The Matrix did a lot of things just like conceptually and this is overstating it, but philosophically that like just I hadn't seen in movies before. Again, as a 16 year old in sure. the VHS era, um, <laughs> uh, not saying it was the first, but it was the first for me. And also um, so that's a big part of it. But also, I think that, you know, if you're coming to The Matrix for the first time today, like it's easy to not be as impressed with it because ev every action movie you've seen since then has been borrowing from it, you know, and building yeah. on it. But, um, you know, so, yeah, it's not going to be as impressive today, you know, either in the the action sequences or the the ideas it does or like some of the more like even just like the more like adventure scene transitions and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, well, it's this isn't going to hit as hard for somebody watching it for the first time in 2021 as it did for a 16 year old watching it in 1999. Right. Um, and a 16-year-old who was, like, particularly into, like, movies and, like, genre stuff, right? Yeah. And, and I mean, you know, and also, like, I didn't have a cell phone yet when that movie came out. <laughs> so, like, and, you know, I was still using, like, dial-up internet. It, it's so the ideas that it was doing and, um, uh, you know, just the idea of, like, I mean, we all know now that like, yeah, the machines have given us all brain worms and we are living in some kind of simulated reality, except rather than the machines building it for us, we are building it for each other. The machines are just nudging us in certain directions <laughs> um, like, yeah, we're all like, yeah, I know that's the world we live in. I I serve Lord Zuckerberg. Um, but like, again, 1999, I'm using dial up Internet like I mean, yeah. and again, I'm 16. So that movie just painted the back wall of the theater with my brain hey i mean like we like i i will not like uh no, no shade thrown because like as a 10 year old through you know however many years after that like we watched that movie a lot yes and we played quote-unquote matrix oh, a yeah. lot uh-huh and you know play guns and play the things in like you know all those that i think what, what felt so disappointing for me is like i had such strong memory of just like you know when you watch a movie that many times you get so invested in everything about it right like oh i remember there's mouse and there's dozer and like all these different characters in the movie and like they're barely characters but yeah. as a kid watching the movie you're just like you just get so into everything oh, about yeah. it uh so yeah trust me we that was a lot of matrix stuff in our lives um at that time so it was just such a huge impact. I mean, once again, just the cultural impact of that movie, even beyond uh, the young boys that it was intended to reach probably at the time. Um, very cool stuff. So, yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm excited to watch it. I, I'm kind of like, do I do I need to watch the second and third one? No, probably not. no, you do not. OK, do not. don't bother. Uh, if, if, if you watch and you find it otherwise, let me know. I, but I, I don't think I will. I mean, it really seems like this is picking up on the idea that um, uh, so, I mean, in 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 in. in Two and three, things get a little muddled, but um, basically, I guess the only thing you would maybe need to know that the the concept that two and three introduce is that um, the events we're watching are like the nth iteration of those events. Oh, right. That the Matrix has been that. reset several times uh, and it keeps having a Neo in it. And that's mm -hmm. why it keeps needing to reset. Or maybe that's part of the design. It's not 
the movie doesn't do a great job of explaining that part. Um, but the suggestion at the end of the third one is that Neo has broken the loop and is uh, and is in the process of some making some kind of peace between the humans and the machines in the real world. But it certainly seems like the suggestion of the at least the trailers for the the new one is uh, that Neo and Trinity never actually made it out of the Matrix. Right. That or or that. Right. Or something. But I don't know. Maybe the real world was a second level of the Matrix all along. Right. Oh my God. Yeah, Which yeah. was kind of implied in two and three that. Yeah. That maybe. Right. That it was just another layer uh, to make you think you got out when you were actually still plugged in. Because there's a there's a point in episode two or three that it's in the, the real world. But Neo uses powers in the mm-hmm. real world. Right. Which suggests something's up mm-hmm. which also the movies never quite really explain <laughs> yeah that's what i remember just being like a ton of like capital p plot holes just like wait what <laughs> yeah like, and also just a lot of people talking at me and me being like i don't understand yeah they're, they're not good they're not <laughs> i i they're, there's there's a lot of neat ideas in them but uh you're watching the second one a lot and enjoying the action scenes in it yeah but... there are some good action scenes the highway scene i think is probably the Right. The peak of it. I think one of the problems is, is that I think they went with some of the action scenes. They went too big and the technology wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Like the scene where it's like Neo versus like 100 Agent Smiths and they all look way too cartoony. Yeah, that I remember. Yeah. Uh, like they tried to I, shoot for the stars a little before the CG was quite there. Hey, yep. 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 And yeah. Um, yeah. And, and a lot of the action scenes, I think, felt a little too floaty and weird. And um, yeah. Greg, what else is on your uh, homework list over I'm off around the holidays? Well, I'll maybe halfway into the first episode of the new season of The Witcher. Okay. And man, that feels like putting on a a, just the warmest pair of broken in sweatpants. (laughs) Like I just got I I, I started watching. I'm like, oh, fuck. I love this show. (laughs) That's good to hear. I was on the Wheel of Time subreddit today and someone was posting about how like People on the Witcher subreddit, like book fans, are like having a goddamn meltdown over how different everything is you know from what? the books. Could- and I was, which is ironic because the Wheel of Time subreddit has been a toxic garbage pit for the past like month yeah. and a half. And also ironic because the Witcher books are bad. Yeah, <laughs> like, as we really discussed. Bad. Yes. So it's just like good. Like they should be different. <laughs> if you want the books, read the fucking books. Yeah. So I'm excited to see what they do with it, because now that I have kind of the full picture, I can see how you would stitch together a bunch of different things and do something cool with it. So I'm definitely on my list. I have I have no reference point for The Witcher other than like getting back into it. And uh, and I'll say this versus Wheel of Time. And, and, And I haven't I still am only one episode into Wheel of Time. And, you know, my critiques of Wheel of Time are all pretty minor and pretty technical. But um, I got to say, the world uh, of The Witcher feels so much more real and fully, uh, fully imagined than The Wheel of Time. Like, I, 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 when I watched Wheel of Time, I felt like I was watching a TV show. The Witcher, yeah. I feel like I'm there. Like, you know, I can feel uh, this, this, I know this sounds dumb, but like, you know, you can, you have so much more of a just an innate sense of place and like, you can just feel the, like, you can smell the inside of that castle. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, there's something. I think what it is is, and I don't know, I'm going to like 
use a bunch of film terms that I don't know or make up a bunch of film terms because I don't know how anything works. But for both Game of Thrones and Witcher, there is a very distinct like feel and vibe to it. Mm -hmm. And it is very gray and grim. And there's like a filter applied to it, which I think on top of some just really smart, like set costume design, you know, stuff like that, just some good design work that makes it all feel much more cohesive. Whereas when I watch Wheel of Time, it feels not cohesive because I don't think they do that filter. If anything, they almost go the opposite direction and kind of turn the saturation up a little bit, which then kind of makes stuff look a little cheap. Yeah. And and also like not like I said, not cohesive where when I'm actually watching, I'm looking at individual things. I'm like, well, nothing here actually looks bad. It's just that like they clearly were trying to like cut some corners, some places and uh, just like there's no cohesive like feeling to the like the atmosphere the visual atmosphere of the show yeah and and, i like that it's different which is why i'm kind of like a mixed bag on it and i think that there's there's well i i I mean i've said positive things about the general production design of wheel of time but i think that this is one of those things where it's a lot of small elements of production i think that add up to more of a of a of a of a lived a feeling of a lived in space and it could be things like just shot choice right like how much of the you know how much of this room am i putting in the frame relative to how much of the character i'm putting in the frame right am i showing you like for example like when you think about dune a lot of the times you see a huge room and the characters in it are very tiny and that creates a certain sense of space Versus if the camera was closer in with the characters, right? Um, little things like that, you know, little things like choices of sound design, right? Like how much of the, how much of the, uh, the room do I hear? Um, how much, you know, uh, how much are, 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 you know, are we hearing, um, just the reverb of the room, right? In the, in the characters' voices. Um, how much of the, like, um, you know, like, the way the way things are cut and the way things are shot, like, am I hearing footsteps in this scene as characters move around? And does do those footsteps create a sense of space? There's a million little things like this that might be part of why the Witcher feels more immersive than Wheel of Time. Yeah, I think that's but probably it could, also, fair. it could also be that I'm more I'm just more familiar with this world because I played the game and I've watched a season of the show versus Wheel of Time where I'm like, I read a couple chapters of the book and we've <laughs> talked about it. But um, yeah. and also I, Wheel of Time, it's it is carving new ground in terms of its production design as well. So let's give it some space to figure out its shit. Yeah, I will say that one thing I've noticed was that. Something about something that Game of Thrones did well was I feel like whatever design aesthetic they did for the world worked in different culture slash climate slash environments. Like when they're in whether they're in the north or they're in the south or they're in Essos, like I always kind of felt like we were in Game of Thrones world Mm -hmm. where I feel like in Witcher and also in or I feel like in Wheel of Time and then also to agree in Witcher when they're not doing the grim, dark Eastern European thing or general European thing, it kind of feels like it doesn't look great. Mm-hmm. Like when they're in the desert in for the brief time they are yeah. in Witcher and like when they're in some of the other environments, I'm like, mm, it doesn't really f-. like I was rewatching the Witcher. I was on the second episode um, where he's like hunting down the quote unquote devil. And like some of that didn't feel as good to me because it felt a little out of place. Yeah, I, and, I agree. And like, so I think that is, 
a harder thing to nail, which I'm going to, was like, once again, give credit to Game of Thrones. I didn't ever really, there's a few areas of Game of Thrones where I thought that might be the case, but like, like Doran always kind of felt like, eh, but that yeah. was also during a shitty season. So, um, but I feel like that is a struggle because now even in Wheel of Time, they kind of just went to a new place, um, a couple of new places in short order. And it's like, okay, like there's still generals, but like, it still feels like this is just an entirely different set aesthetic and design aesthetic than we were in the two rivers before we were in Tarvalon and like different places like that. So, yeah, I, uh, well, I think yeah. that's anytime where you're like, you're, you're taking risks, uh, you know, if you're trying to like, you know, have like, Ooh, this is a whole new setting. That's going to have, you know, um, a whole different production design and, 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 you know, the, the um, different wardrobe and uh, different, you know, music, et cetera, et cetera. Like you're taking a risk there because, you know, the, the production designers ideas for Eastern Europe might just be better than their ideas for the <laughs> desert. Right. Yeah. And it might, might just be a lot easier. They might not have as much inspiration. Right. Yeah. So, you know, it's like, you know, it's like a cover band where it's like they're really good at country songs. But when they try to do pop songs, it doesn't work as well. Right. Right. So that might be part of it. Um yeah, I'll agree. I mean, Witcher, Witcher isn't perfect. And also this first episode takes place in like a gloomy old castle. <laughs> right, which snowy, is prime. In a snowy and... wood, which is, yeah, that is like that is, uh, yeah, low hanging fruit for the Witcher team. But um, right. but yeah, there's so... just something that just feels a little bit more real and, and visceral about the Witcher than uh, than Wheel of Time. Yeah, I think I think you're right for sure. Uh, and at least I could is it maybe necessarily a maybe a little more of an apples and oranges thing Could for be. like preference? I definitely Could would be. prefer if it was more immersive personally. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, it, yeah, I think it was a good point that like any time you change something and you try to take a little bit of a risk, it can be difficult, right? Yeah. Like you're you know, not going to get it all right. Yeah. For superhero movies, you know, it's like a lot of MCU fight scenes for a while were just like, or even just in general action set pieces are like dark New York City, yeah. possibly in the rain. And it seems like Sony still doesn't know how to not do that. Um, but then when you have scenes where people take a risk, sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. For example, in Black Panther, that fight scene set piece of the movie in like the Ooh. bright African plains doesn't really work that well. However, in Infinity War, the bright action scene in Wakanda, like on the plains of Wakanda, like works really well. So like yeah. you can you can do it, but like I just think it's harder. Oh yeah. And, yeah. and more of a transition for sure. So um, I am excited though. I, uh, you know, I hope that over time you find, if you want to find time to watch Wheel of Time and discuss it. No, the, I, I the should. The last I, one comes out this week. So you should be able, you know, if you want to, it's only eight episodes. I will, I will finish Wheel of Time before, uh, before the Christmas break is over. Um, All right. But, you're here to hear folks. You say he's going to finish the entire Wheel of Time book series before the Christmas break is over. If he yes. starts now, I'm not sure there's enough time literally in the universe for him to actually do. i will i don't think i'm ever gonna read the books <laughs> no i'm kidding uh i am he's sitting here going am i gonna reread these books i know I you are and you you the, the fact that you're still thinking about it tells me that you're gonna do it i, I know i really am. i think i just need just like you said i think i just need a comfort read right now because for some reason i'm back in a gloomy spot and it's okay the world kind of sucks it's a rough it's 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 a little bit of a rough rough period right now uh yeah you kind of thought you were out of it, you know, and then I think the reality of everything right now with the holidays and I had a scare today where I we had some family over on Saturday for Christmas thing. And then today I you know been seeing a lot of just like the cases and whatever. And I woke up with a sore throat this morning and uh -oh. I was like, 
oh my god like i fucking got covid i'm gonna have to cancel cancel all my christmas and new year's plan i'm not gonna go see or do anything I'm also gonna ruin it for shay and my entire family blah 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 took it at, i did it i managed i still had an at-home test sitting here thank god because you can't find them anywhere else um and i tested and i kept negative so i'm assuming i'm just being an old man and didn't have my humidifier on last night which is why i was throat. but i really had, like was just like fuck fuck just all day just like this is terrible and i hate it and i wouldn't even care so much about me but i got you know friends and family who are pregnant or have little kids yes, or thanks <sighs> anyway we don't have to go down that rabbit hole but yeah i just think i need some comfort stuff i i i completely empathize uh I I reread I reread my you know my favorite China medieval book just the other I, I wait no I'm re I'm already almost done my second reread of a child a China medieval book <laughs> just bouncing around so like I get it you don't have to apologize for it it's funny that your comfort area is like super depressing and weird uh somewhat lefty critique of the world S- somewhat <laughs> well I mean I think some of his books are obviously very heavily. I there is definitely some stuff present, but I wouldn't say Pretty Dear Street Station comes across as particularly like a heavy leftist book. More about weird creatures in the sky, but it's I mean, not there's as... stuff in the background for sure. Yeah, commentary, yeah. but it's, I wouldn't call it particularly like complex. Or it's just like, yeah, hierarchy's bad. Okay, right, but it's not. I mean, <laughs> you look at Rail C or uh, or Iron Council. Which city are much, city or, yeah. Yeah. Well, City of the City, I wouldn't, I don't know if I would say City of the City is explicitly leftist. Um, That's fair. It's probably a lot more just like more. Have you read that one? I haven't read it actually. Okay, you really should read the City. I, I, want, I should. It's really yeah. good. Um, yeah. uh, it has a little bit at the end that's a little, but not like lefty, lefty, more just like corporations bad, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the other one I'm reading, Kraken, which is, you know, a, much more of like an urban fantasy. Um, I'd forgotten this plot point from the first time I read it. But like, uh, so it takes place. There's a there's there's, you know, it's all about like the secret wizardry going on in London. Right. And um, there's it takes place in the middle of a all the familiars are on strike. The familiars are unionized and they're on strike. And there's a character who's like a like the first familiar and he's like their union boss and he's like a central character in the story. <laughs> so that's pretty. I mean, yeah, it's it's. I would say that Iron Council and Rail C are the most aggressively lefty things. But look, look, I, I like to read things. But yes. Yes. Leftism gives me comfort. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> reading, you know, reading, reading, uh, reading fiction that you know i align with politically does make me feel good i'm like oh yeah somebody out there can imagine a world that is is different (laughs) you gotta find like the leftist utopia book to read that's like you know that's that's the hard thing is that like how do you 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 can't really do that because like we've talked about like fiction especially fantasy requires a, a either a world that needs fixing or a world that must or a good world that must be saved right Right. And like, I just can't imagine like a a lefty utopian novel where you have like, uh, oh, you've got a, you know, like a horizontally organized culture and there's a threat coming that's going to like corporatize it. (laughs) Um, Maybe it'd be fun to see like a book where like it's got a a horizontally designed society, designed society where 
organized society where like an external threat is coming and you're seeing how a horizontally organized society adapts and overcomes to do that thing. Right. Because you can't because in that case, you're, you know, you're you're horizontally organized society has to win or else your book is a critique of, you know, anarchist organizing. Correct. Um, which is, you know, probably not what you're trying to set out to do. Um, but also one of the challenges of leftism generally is that ch- changing from a vertically organized society to a horizontally organized society um you know, the only way to do it uh, in a time span and with action that's going to be satisfying in a novel is through a revolution, right? Mm-hmm. You know, like incremental change towards decommodification and towards alternative modes of political representation, like that doesn't make a great fantasy novel, right? <laughs> like, yeah, we're going to we're going to decommodify this industry. Hooray, we did it. You know, that that's not terribly satisfying. Well, couldn't um, you do something like like more like a sci-fi kind of thing, like a three-body problem or a foundation where it's less character, more idea-driven, and you're seeing over the scope of, you know, hundreds of years, decades or hundreds of years, like, you know, little windows into how this system is going to work and the challenges it faces and how it overcomes and that kind of stuff. Like through the eye, lens of certain characters or something. Yeah, where it's just the more thought experiment thing. Yeah, yeah I've thought yeah. about that. Like, yeah. you know, uh, like imagine imagine our world where if the Magna Carta, right, which kind of the first baby step towards constitutional democracy uh, was basically the landed gentry in England. And you're going to tell me I'm exactly wrong about this. Uh, basically going to the king and being like, hey, by the way, we have all the horses and swords, so let's make an arrangement here. Um, but that was the the nobles, right? Rising up against the king to, like, make an agreement towards a relatively more equitable distribution of power, right? Mm-hmm. Broad strokes. Mm-hmm. What if instead of it was the guy saying, hey, we have all the horses and swords, what if it was all of the serfs and tradespeople? You know, what if it was the guild of carpenters and the guild of horseshoerers if they came together and said look we might not have all the swords and horses but this whole operation falls apart if we stop doing what we're doing so we're writing the magna carta and now it's no longer a system of essentially mm, constitutional feudalism but now you've got something that rep- more represents syndicalism. And that's a conceivable like alternate history, right? Like that's huh? conceivably possible. It's just that's not the way it unfolded. But how would our society exist today if we had done that rather than just being like, hey, what if the aristocracy also had some legal power? <laughs> right. <laughs> and then and then basically just iterating on that to the point we have today where it's like, hey, what if the aristocracy had legal power, but we don't call them the aristocracy? Huh? Uh, and they every single bit of power. What if we called them job creators? <laughs> um, what if we called them entrepreneurs? Yes. Uh, so, yeah, like, yeah, I think. But then it's it's thought experimenty and whatever. You can do it. But I'm just saying it that 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 doesn't make as as satisfying and compelling as a, of a of a real lefty story. So instead, it's, you know, you get some good stuff where um I mean, I think, you know, in, in, in the case of Iron Council, you have these kind of parallel stories, one about a essentially decentralized society that, that lives on the train and then what's going on in New Crobazon and how those things uh, are in conflict with one another. Right. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Uh, definitely like 
you know, you got to have conflict in a story to have a story, right? And sometimes it's hard to make that compelling if it's too thought experimenting, as I complained right. about for an hour last time we recorded. So, and um, how do I how do I make my my fictional lefty society uh, believable, but also not have any obvious flaws? <laughs> Yeah, Greg, how do you do it <laughs> um, uh, without but also without basically building like a Mary Sue society, you know? Yeah, no, so, it's, it's a it's a good question, actually, um, uh, to advocate for a to advocate for a different world in fiction without just without just saying everything would be perfect if we did X. <laughs> right. I was in charge. Right. I mean, that's that's the truth, though, right, Greg? What? That's the, that's that's what you think, though, right? Well, I think everything would be better if we had a horizontally organized society, but I also know we can't get there from here. <laughs> not not in one move anyway. Right, right. Without not without just, you know, depriving a lot of people of their sovereignty under the current system, which would be anti-democratic and thus uh, counter to anarchist ideal. One of these days we're going to just do a whole episode that's just your political treaties and we'll uh, alienate all the rest of our viewers. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Listeners, it's very simple. It's very simple. Concentrations of power are are bad. That's it. <laughs> Got it. That's it. Concentrations of power are bad. Political or economic or social concentrations of power are bad. And uh, any system that tends towards concentration of power is a bad system. Systems should trend towards distribution of power. Mm hmm. We should have as little power over our fellow man as possible. That means each one of us has the maximum amount of freedom. Makes sense. Yes. And <laughs> the problem is, is that we can't get there from here overnight. Right. Without Which is the problem with most uh, idealized forms of organization or government, right? Without doing a Stalin. Uh, which, which clearly worked well. Well, with the, yeah, because the problem is, is that one, by when you flip the table, you are depriving a lot of people of their ability to choose the system under which they are governed, which you're just saying, I want all the power. But just for now, I know concentrations of power are bad. But if you concentrate it all with me for now, I promise I'll give it back eventually. Oh, and man. If history has taught us anything is that nobody ever gives up power willingly. <sighs> you really got to read the last Expanse books, dude. Fuck. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um. It's, it's it's the it's the uh, one might say it is sort of the one of the defining conflicts of humanity. Right. Uh, yes, I would. I would say that there that that you could you could evenly divide uh, that there are that there are two primary tendencies in 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 the human psyche, uh, uh, authoritarianism and egalitarianism. And um, that one of them's the bad guys. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, uh yeah who you identify with in these in these uh in these stories is tells you where you land good guy or bad guy good guys and bad guys it all comes down to that right good chaotic good that's that's my that's my uh that's your alignment all right chaotic that's my good. that's my political philosophy is chaotic good and that's fair enough i mean i always kind of felt like one of the most compelling or maybe not compelling but the things that i find the most compelling in D D was when you're like Lawful good looks a lot like lawful evil, depending on how you look at it. And lawful neutral also looks a lot like lawful evil, depending on who's looking at it. Uh, I'm actually running a, and I can say this because none of my friends listen to my podcast, so uh, they'll never get spoiled by it. I am running a D&D &D campaign where um, the big bad guy was a 
super, uh, super like stereotypical lawful good paladin or knight. I haven't decided yet. Um, I think paladin and he like is like leads a D&D party and whatever. And he uh, they get given a deck of many things. Are you familiar with this? object mm-hmm. um it's got a number of really crazy fucking cards in it but when you start comboing them together is when you get really interesting things and the way it works is you can draw as you know up to i think up to five or whatever if you want and some of them are like you're dead basically like so it's a really risky proposition mm-hmm. um and in a moment of you know him trying to think that think of what all the good he could do with the power he draws three cards he draws uh, I'm going to not remember the names right. Um, actually, I have them written down right here because I just explained it to it. He draws the balance card, which changes his alignment from lawful good to lawful evil. Mm-hmm. The second card he draws is the sun card, which gives him 50,000 experience points and a wondrous item, which makes him, you know, very, very, like basically gives him like three or four levels and a very powerful magical artifact. And finally, the throne card, which uh, gives you basically you get really good at persuading people. You get given a. a a keep like our castle of some kind um, becomes under your power and you get really good at influencing um, certain groups of people. And so basically in my mind, he, you know, then promptly promptly kills the rest of his D and D party. Um, <laughs> who are all good characters and then starts becoming a evil overlord uh, just by drawing those three cards and changing your entire look on the world and getting, and, get, and getting given a lot of power. So yeah, authoritarianism. It's awesome. Wait, what? No, that's not no, what I'm saying. It's bad. It's <laughs> bad. Bad. Very bad. It's bad, but it is also a natural human tendency, which is exacerbated by power. Yeah. The more people power people have and the longer they have it, the more they come to believe that they earned it and that they deserve more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so systems which allow people to be corrupted by their power are bad because you end up with, well, what we have today. Right. Uh Unless they're just the good ones, right? That's what fantasy's taught me, right? You just need the right king. Yes, that's the, that is exactly <laughs> right. You just need the right king, and he will reign for a thousand years, and he will, ne- and that will never drive him insane. Yeah, you just need the right god emperor. Because yes, that's exactly right. It's it's um uh he, yes, <laughs> um yeah. You should read. Yeah, you should. Uh, those last six, couple of Spanish books deal a lot with authoritarianism. Um, in it maybe not necessarily unique or new way but in a way that feels uh appropriate yeah i don't know if there's a new way to talk about like there's a like that's the weirdest thing is that like all of our all of our fiction and all of our fantasy generally the author authoritarians are the bad guys mm-hmm. but societally and culturally we just keep like trying to find ways to like further empower authoritarians. <laughs> Whatever it just seems like we just can't learn this lesson. It's like I know, I know that like the theme of like every book is that power corrupts. I know that that's like the thing, but like, what if we just gave Mark Zuckerberg more power? <laughs> yeah, I mean, one of the I think that like you know more modern fantasy series. You know, even not that modern, like looking like Wheel of Time or whatever, like Mistborn. You know, you've got these examples of like the very clear, like, well, authoritarianism is bad and, you know, power corrupts. But that how do you fight the bad stuff without power, which is what you're talking about, right? Which is like a central crux for, you know, kind of what happens in uh, Mistborn with like, you know, the Lord Ruler, right? Like, Mm -hmm. oh, he's a bad guy, but like he was kind of holding the place together. And when we got rid of him and decentralized our power for lack of a better term like we started 
things started going off the rails. How do you fix that? Right. Second thing is, uh, well, that and the answer to that was just get a better God, but yeah. um, well, get the I right mean, God. The, the, it is an ongoing question in leftism: is how does a decentralized society deal with large scale issues such as climate change? That's sure. a valid question um, uh, that I don't know has a has a good answer. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, look, I mean, even Lord of the Rings. I mean, had a weird answer to it, but it was like the whole thing is like, the yeah, the ring is going to corrupt you and make you crazy. Even if, you know, even trying to destroy it is going to like make you're going to be tempted by the power of it and you're going to be, you know, it's going to corrupt you. That's what it does. Um, and thus it must be destroyed. Uh, this 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 locus of power. Now, Lord of the Rings answer to it was let's find the people that genetically are less susceptible <laughs> to this. Uh, Great answer. Got, yeah, they've they've got the right skull shape to uh, to to destroy the power and then give all the power that's left. Give it to the guy who is genetically entitled to it. A- appropriate diagnosis. Wrong prescription there, Jr. Was uh, was it was it the case that they said like hobbits were like genetically resistant to the ring or was I always kind of interpret it because I didn't actually read the goddamn books, but like more interpreted it that like. Because of the way their society was kind of run, uh, I mean, they're I, like not as susceptible to the same greedy impulses or something. I don't know that it was ever clearly spelled out, but it that was might very be a lefty clear interpretation that, it, that like the Shire seems like a pretty horizontally organized society, and because of that, they're not as susceptible to the. That'd be kind uh, of an interesting take. Yeah, I mean, you could argue that just. Right. That it just so happens that Shire culture tracks with Hobbit uh, with with Hobbits because of just historical factors. And it is more of a cultural thing than a genetic thing. But um, I don't know, man. Tolkien's pretty essentialist, which is fine. He was like frightened in like the 1920s. Like it's, you know. Yeah. uh, Not not unexpected. But he never he never goes out of his way to be like, oh, no, dwarves hoard gold because of years of economic oppression. <laughs> yeah, right? they, have, they suffer from economic security in the early part of their culture. So it's right. You know, um, that's that's <laughs> he doesn't go out of his way to say that it's just kind of like these races are the way they are. Um, yeah. And he's also kind of I mean, they're not the first time that people talk about dwarves and elves, but in a modern sort of like genre context, he's inventing these tropes from. Scratch, yes. basically. Yes. Um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, Wheel of Time's got kind of an interesting theme of that. One of the big themes of Wheel of Time as the books move on, as it goes from, um, again, recommend the uh, Brandon Sanderson podcast because he outlines how he views the Wheel of Time books like in chunks. It's like the first three or four, are, like quest fantasy, classic kind of quest fantasy, and then it turns into more like political fantasy, and then it turns into like, you know, these other two things. Anyway, one of the things is Rand's journey as this, like, you know, the dragon. Spoiler, I guess the dragon reborn. Um, it's not really a spoiler. Um, and how he's sort of trying to influence the world to mobilize, to fight the dark one, you know, like the true, truest of true evil and all his armies. And also not only are they like conquering the world, but they're also kind of semi destroying it and whatever, but the methods by which he is trying to, you know, uh, what's that book called? Uh, influence others and uh, win exceeded. friends and influence people. Yes. Yes. That is not, how Randall always goes about it. <laughs> um and there's a there's a moment there's a series of books where people start referring to him as referring to him as the iron dragon or the stone dragon because he's just like well 
this is the only way. And people are like, you know, they have to kind of, it's almost like Spider-Man things, like to, to bring it full circle. Like other people in his life would be like, maybe there's another way. It's not just like, I will destroy you unless you join me. Right. And there's a, there's, there's something in fantasy and, and Dune touches on this as well, which is if a character in the context of the fiction knows something, you know, like they're where, where like they, they do have some absolute knowledge of good or evil, or they have some kind of precognition and they can see the outcome of their actions Right. That really changes the equation on, you know, like how much harm are you willing to do in service of the greater good? Right. You know, if you're Paul Atreides and you can see the future, I guess I should say Leto, too, because he's the one who actually did the Golden Path thing. Like, you know, he like, oh, he, he can actually see the future. And we, the readers, know that, like, yes, his visions are accurate. So for him to inflict suffering uh, in service of a greater good, it's morally defensible because he genuinely knows the outcome. So from a consequentialist point of view, like, you know, where the the moral choice is the one that leads to the, the greatest, the, the best outcome, you know, that that equation kind of breaks. And, and you know, in, in the case of Wheel of Time, I mean, I assume he knows that he is the dragon reborn and he knows that the dark one is real and will do bad shit right Mm -hmm. these aren't theories in his mind these are facts of the world then you know the moral calculus of like him doing authoritarian shit to prevent greater harm is more morally defensible because he knows and we the reader know what the outcomes are yeah yeah whereas but then they still but most books will still kind of posit maybe not dune but it's like well this is still not good like, right. It's 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 bad in a sense. But we also know that, you know, in the in the final analysis that, you know, inflicting this suffering now to prevent this suffering in the future, like in the real world, that's a that's a that's a gamble. And and that's morally questionable because we don't know the outcome. You know, we can make our best guess. But, you know, you, you in uh, in fiction, you know, you you don't have that pressure. Yeah. Yeah. And I won't I truly won't spoil this because it's too, too recent and there's too much, you know, this could be something that people want to dig into. But the sort of last sequence of the Expanse finale is kind of this idea, right, of like who gets to decide how people live and like, you know, in the face of this threat, what is, you know, what is the right play? And there's a couple options on the table and none of them are perfect, right? Because there is no perfect solution to your point earlier about like, you know, there's questions in every political slash social socioeconomic system where it's like there's some blind spots, right, that are hard to understand or, or come to terms with. And it's good to have that moral uh, grayness in your fantasy, too. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. In, but when you have uh, yeah, when you have the when you have the ability to like when there is like true existential evil and, you know, um, you know, where it's like, yeah, Sauron is definitely the bad guy like there is no question <laughs> um there is no question that he is just super bad you know but in the real world it's like ah it's rare that you get some you get a question where the answer is so obvious of like what's the right thing to do the right thing to do is stopping sauron <laughs> like there is no question right. you know there, there is no like well i don't know maybe maybe sauron's got some good ideas maybe we should hear him out maybe maybe he can increase crop yields in in uh in gondor you know yeah but at the same time i feel like that idea of like moral you know moral black and white and sauron's like clearly the bad guy it's like well 
our heroes know that Sauron's the bad guy, but do like the people on the ground even know who Sauron is? Like, do clearly the people who the mercenaries who join him are just like doing whatever, you know, like same thing for in our own world, right? Like clearly Hitler or Stalin or whoever, you know, is like the bad guy, but lots of people, you know, we're like cool with it. And even people who are not like super close to it are, you know, looking back somehow, even our current society, people are like, well, maybe it's like, okay. So like, I don't know. There's a bunch of Sauron apologists in Middle Earth. I don't know. I think it would be harder to have Sauron apologists in Middle Earth. Um, I don't even know what Sauron's real goals were besides rule the world, but yeah, it's, you know, to be, to be just, to be super evil, <laughs> um, you know, I mean, look, there, there, there's, you know, there's all kinds of questions about like, well, like, yeah, there were lots of people in Germany who maybe didn't know exactly everything that was going on. But also, if you're a factory worker under a fascist regime, you know, can I really hold you accountable for the bombs you helped build? When you had no actual material power to change the direction of your country and you were trying to you were just trying to, like, keep your family fed. Um, And, you know, there are open questions about that. But like uh, Lord of the Rings doesn't present us with the point of view (laughs) of the guy who was sweeping the floors in Isengard. Right. 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 Uh, we are not we're not given that opportunity. We're not given the opportunity to understand like the people who were just living in Minas Tirith when it was under bombardment by Sauron's armies and had their fucking houses caved in. Um, we don't get to hear their point of view, um, but it's not like Gondor was like, you know, like, oh, well, the reason Sauron's attacking is because they got tired of the sanctions that Gondor put on them and. <laughs> They had to, you know, they were trying to protect their southern border from, you know, it's like, nah, it's pretty clear. It's just like, oh, bad guy wants to come and make everything bad. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I mean, um, I like these kind of things, even though sometimes, un- unfortunately, fiction provides us an easy way out oftentimes. Right. Where reality does not. Mm. Boy, this That's is this is point. like this little bonus conversation is like OG reality alternative. It is. It is. We're touching on some old some 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 old things. Um now that I've been fully radicalized. <laughs> yeah. Um, maybe we'll have to do uh, some re- some look backs on some of our topics now that you're uh, fully radicalized leftist anarchist and I am triple question mark. Mm, I'll get you there. <laughs> maybe I'll get you there. You can be a you can be a you can be a, a philosophical anarchist without being a uh, without being a revolutionary. Anarchist. That's good. I believe we I believe an anarchist society would be better than an authoritarian society. However, I do not believe that a purely anarchist society is possible immediately. I would like to make I would like to make baby steps in that. Well, I would like to make steps in that direction. Sure. To the extent that democracy allows. I got you, dude. I understand. I understand. I don't know. I don't know enough to say one way or the other, to be honest, because. I have discussed before, I feel like while it's nice to have a moral political framework, I also feel like there be dragons and less dogma slash philosophy and more like address immediate problems is probably where my brain is at. Sure. In but most what? situations. So, yes, address address current problems. I agree. But 
what is the guiding philosophy towards the solutions? Well, that's the question, right? And the question, but I, but I, I think sometimes the guiding philosophy can get murky because a lot of the things you're saying here is things I used to read on when I was like, you know, 21 or two in the anarcho-capitalist slash libertarian subreddits. Zach, mm-hmm. words out of your mouth. Just putting it out there. Well, I'm just saying I don't believe that it's possible to be an anarcho-capitalist. I believe it is uh, because uh, you cannot you cannot believe that hierarchies are bad, which is a axiom of anarchism, but also believe that capitalism is good because capitalism inherently creates and sustains a hierarchy. I understand and I would agree and I think they would agree. That's why they would call themselves that. And it's just the question of the morality. It's like what happens naturally, quote unquote, quote unquote, put the care quotes around, like you said, natural tendencies and uh, what is okay. Capitalism is also impossible without a state. Well, Uh, that's on your definition of capitalism. That's not how they would define capitalism. They would. What they want, what they want is they want the exact system we have now just with them in charge. (laughs) That's what they want. (laughs) They want they want a system like we have now, but we're there the big shots. And I they think would you're manning a little bit here, uh, but we don't need to like go down this rabbit but, hole right now. So, but I say the guiding philosophy when we consider solutions, I simply consider: uh, do these solutions one do they produce do they produce uh, more good than harm? That's generally consideration one. Consideration two is, does this solution further concentrate power or does it distribute power? And I favor solutions that distribute power over solutions that concentrate power. Fair enough. But I think sometimes people can get caught in the weeds of like in the middle ground of like, well, my my core philosophy is around this, but that kind of translates to X, Y, Z. And therefore, I will never support a policy that does well, then, ABC, right? Then we get into further considerations. Does this does this potential solution um, get us closer to socialism or further away from socialism? Um, because you know there there are strong arguments to be made about like voting Democrat because anything that gets you closer to fascism gets you further away from socialism. So you got to get away from fascism. Uh, but I would say that generally speaking, any, any solution that like, cause I have all kinds of secondary concerns like, uh, you know, like gender equality, uh, racial equality, et cetera, et cetera. But, um, generally speaking, anything that distributes power should be, uh, should be, uh, anti-racist because racism consolidates power, right? Consolidates power in an ethnic group. Uh, sexism consolidates power in a sex uh, and and seeks to define everyone based on a particular sex binary, sex gender binary, because sexism does not distinguish between sex and gender. But again, if, if your solutions distribute power, you, it's difficult to back yourself into um sexism or racism and i file homophobia under sexism yeah and transphobia under sexism right and file both sexism and racism under essentialism (sighs) it's gonna be okay buddy i mean it may or not i don't know i can't say that for sure but it sounds good to say look we can just hope that things get more okay and if we just keep thinking about distributing power versus concentrating power and if we think about things in a more um concrete terms if we think about decommodifying 
the the elements of our economy that are essential to survival, then we are moving in the right direction. If we are further commodifying things, we're moving in the wrong direction. There you have it, folks. Spider-Man. Spider-Man. <laughs> Hero of the proletariat. I mean, out of, out of the group of them, he's probably one of the least uh, sensualists slash authoritarian i mean he's 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 always been a working class hero yeah as opposed to typically part of one of the big funded teams and isn't trying to commercialize his success and things like that yes and and generally like if you have like a theoretically a a character who is uh fighting street crime right uh because street crime generally uh victimizes people Mm -hmm. as opposed to like the big Things that like threaten institutions, right? The the big world ending things like, oh, it's going to destroy the government. It's like, well, the government's an institution. And yeah, people will suffer if the government is destroyed. But Spider-Man is out here like just making sure that like somebody doesn't get their like business robbed. Uh, that's probably good. You know, that's better. You know, yeah. He's and also like community. He's so often fighting not just like street level crime, but like mid level street crime. He's not fighting yeah. the the guy who's trying to steal a bread, he's fighting Kingpin, who's running organized crime and concentrating power and taking advantage of people or other like evil capitalists like Norman Osborn or Doc Ock or whoever. Right. right? Like, but he's um, not trying to dismantle capitalism. <laughs> correct. If he was, what he'd be doing would be he'd be trying to figure out how to give everybody spider powers. <laughs> Which does happen at some point, I think. Didn't, but. Did, wait, didn't, uh, didn't Wanda Maximoff Make everybody a mutant for a while. Uh, yes, that is the plot line of. There you uh, go. Yeah. Wanda Maximoff, uh, anarchist queen. But she also put her dad in charge of the entire world in doing that. Yeah. And he's a and, and he's a racist. <laughs> Correct. Uh, although also, it, and again, we've talked about this before, but like weirdly, like racism in a world with mutants is like actually objectively reasonable <laughs> yeah because they, they there are like genuine measurable differences between mutants and, and humans like some of them can shoot lasers with their eyes that's a thing <laughs> well you're uh, about concentrating power if you the can like if you can as magneto has done you can literally move the entire earth with your powers and other such massive feats yeah pretty heavy concentration of power we should not have magnetos <laughs> I am going to make the bold statement that we should not have Magnetos. All right. Well, maybe we can start there and then, uh, yeah, we can work backwards. Yes. No Magnetos. We can all agree (laughs) a world without Magnetos is a better world. Start there. Some comic writers would probably disagree, but I agree with you. Yeah. uh, Yeah. uh, Okay. Look, uh, uh, yes, there are. There are many Magnetos. Yeah. Which Magnetos? Yeah. Or actually, maybe better yet. How about this, Greg? Not all Magnetos. Hashtag. No one man should have all that power. <laughs> Correct. Uh, yeah. Okay, Greg. Well, this was a nice digression about Spider-Man uh, into horizontally organized societies. Yes. And systems. Um, but it's late. It, it is. It is late. And there's going to be some kid out there who's like, oh, a Spider-Man podcast that you've now radicalized. I will further radicalize. <laughs> I got to get better at this because because the, 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 the fucking uh, reactionary dipshits that like who their whole thing is like to be on YouTube and just like, ah, this is my Spider-Man review. But like they f- 
within the first 30 seconds, they find a way to talk about how like this Spider-Man is woke and that's bad. And then they spend four hours talking about that. And that's like the whole thing. I'm doing it backwards. We just talked about Spider-Man for like two and a half hours. And then we got to the leftism at the end and it's like completely disconnected. I got to do a better job of integrating of your critique, <laughs> getting in here and being like, yeah, uh, uh, I'm going to request that you do not do that. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think that's really necessary either, because I want to talk about uh, like why uh, Willem Dafoe's face is awesome. Not so much about I do, too. The anti or otherwise essentialist messages of Spider-Man. I mean, I do want to talk about that, but like not in the same episode. No, look, I, I mean, I think it, there's not. a little bit there's a little bit in there of how um, this this Spider-Man posits that um, that evil and criminality is the result of circumstances, not essential characteristics, which is a sub, which is a which is a, a lefty view. Yeah, totally. There you um, go. It doesn't go all the way and suggest that um, they are the result of systems of oppression which would be the true based take um but it's better than what most of them are which is like oh no the joker is bad because his brain is bad yeah very true um although it's his brain is bad because he fell in a vat of acid (laughs) which was actually batman's fault right but if we made it capitalism's fault which is what the joker movie tried to kind of do well and and uh, well to be fair the killing joke also kind of tried to do that because he was only trying to get involved with crime because he was poor. Yeah. And, and whatever. He, was, he was taken advantage of by uh, by a system of um, uh, of of crime that took advantage of his precarity and, and put him in a position to take the fall. Ah, boy, who wrote that one? Killing joke. What communist wrote the killing joke? <laughs> was it Alan Moore? Literal communist. <laughs> who knew? Hmm. Who knew? Um, I think <laughs> it was Zack Snyder. It was Zack Snyder, right? Yes. Literal copy to Zack Snyder. <laughs> Interesting. Oh, man. This was fun. All right. Yes, it was. Maybe we'll do well, a whole episode on authoritarianism and fantasy. Uh, Yeah. Yeah, we could. We should. Um. Oh, God. It, we need to stop now because otherwise we're just going to do that episode right now. Don't and do I it. can't do I'm, that. I'm, I said it as a way to uh, let you go, Greg. Fucking today. 12, we will do it in the, in the future. Not right now. Well, anyway, look, it's uh, I'm done with work for the year. I don't know if you are. I have three hours tomorrow. Ah, uh, well, I'm going to go to bed um, and tomorrow I'm going to wake up and I'm going to get ready for Christmas. And I'm not going to think about work. And I wish I could say I'm not going to think about politics, but <laughs> we know that's not true. Uh, but I hope that uh, that you have a restful and restorative holiday. Same to you and your family. I wish you all the joy of this winter solstice. And to all our uh, thousands and millions of listeners, uh, we wish the same. Yes. Enjoy your time, whether it's with family or with friends or uh, just with with yourself. Uh, You deserve this break more than you think you do. True. That's that 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 was the that was the uh, the collective view to, to whoever's listening to this. That isn't me. Yeah, I mean, I don't deserve shit, but like the rest of you, go for it. You all deserve a break. You work too hard for too little. You deserve this. Don't let anybody tell you you don't.